0: This Week in Startups is brought to you by Squarespace. Turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code TWIST to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Tax File. The best way to do your taxes is by not doing them at all. TaxFile connects individuals and businesses with trusted CPAs that file for you. All you have to do is sign up. Visit taxfile.com slash twist to get 15% off your tax return today. That's TAXFYLE dot com slash twist. And Help Scout, the customer service platform built for starting and scaling up. Eligible startups get Help Scout for only $50 a month for their first 12 months. Visit helpscout.com slash twist to learn more.
1: Hey everybody, hey everybody, welcome to another edition of This Week in Startups, you're in for a treat. You've been asking for it since March of 2013 when the David Hanmeyer Hansen was first on This Week in Startups. You know him on the Twitter, at DHH, a self-proclaimed loudmouth like myself, lots of opinions based on a lot of experience. If you haven't read the book, uh, It Doesn't Have to be Crazy at Work, which he co-authored with his partner in Basecamp. It's a great book, great read. Uh, and David's been right about a lot of things that have come to fruition. Obviously, Ruby on Rails, he was the uh, creator of, he does the Rework podcast, and he was early on with work from home. What did you see 10 years ago, David, welcome back to the program, that led you to believe that work from home was going to be so paradigm shifting? And when did you start doing it, uh, you know, as a company?
0: Yeah, so we did it since the beginning. The second I started working with Jason in 2001, that all happened off a blog post that he had made to Signal vs. Noise, the blog that's still running today, talking about, like, hey, I've got to understand programming. Is there is anyone out there? It was an open call. Is there anyone out there who can help me? I sent him an email, and that email went to a back and forth, and we started working together. Um, and for about six months, we didn't even speak on the phone. It was just email, I am. That was the whole thing. So from inception, Jason and I started working remote. So by the time 2010, for example, rolls around, we've been working remote for 10 years. And we wrote a book on this called Remote Office Not Required in 2013. And I thought, man, we're really late to this game. (laughs) Everyone must clearly understand that remote is the future of knowledge work and that we're just stating the obvious. And what it turned out was that book was even early that this great um, sort of awakening of the wonders of remote work really does not seem to have uh, come out broadly until just in the last few years, which just strikes me as odd. I've almost been working remotely now for 20 years. And for me, the number one thing is um, it's just a better quality of life in, in all the factors. Right, The lack of a commute, the lack of a personal space that I control – the lack of of all these sort of impositions on doing the work, and then the availability of like, hey, I get to have lunch with my family. I get to walk out in the outside uh, where I live when when the weather's nice. I get to do all these things that just wouldn't be possible if we were like, hey, you, you got to come to the office in Chicago. That's just yeah. what it is.
1: And it it really took a certain type of trust and a certain type of employee. I think you admit who can. Be self possessed, self directed enough to work from home. Not everybody can handle it, right? Or do you find I'm the opposite? So, that? I'm
0: not so sure I agree yeah, with that. I yeah. think that the uh, main awakening that's happening now is not because people changed. Did people mm-hmm. get materially more um, sort of responsible over the last 10 years? No, they didn't. We just realized that what makes a good remote worker makes a good worker, period. And mm. that really, let's not even focus on the worker. What makes a good remote working environment is what makes a good ver- working environment. Period. That all these attributes that some see as oh, this is really hard, this is really difficult. That's the hard, difficult work you should be doing anyway. You should be doing it in all companies. You should be writing things down. You should be giving um, adequate time for considered thought. And these things just don't happen in all these ad hoc meetings and. Um. So all these factors we describe in yeah. remote office not uh, required was really just a recapitulation of, hey, here's a good way to run your company such that it doesn't suck.
1: I, you know, I, I agree with that because, you know, sometimes the failure of the team member, the, employer, the employee in this um, relationship is the failure of the manager not being clear about what the expectation is what the outcome is, right? And so you're like, well, we just need to fill these positions, have bodies in a room, but you haven't made it clear to the employee, here is the output. Here is why you're here. You need to push this amount of code. You need to add this amount of features over this period of time. You need to sell this many licenses, whatever the, the goal is. And for sales, it's easy. You pick a number. For coding, maybe a little harder, right? Like the number of stories or you know,
0: I, I don't even think that sort of gold based outcomes like that are, are that helpful. I mean, one of the other things we've published recently is a software methodology called ShapeUp. It's at Basecamp.com slash ShapeUp, which talks about how we do software development at Basecamp and have really been doing it for the past 20 years. And one of the big ideas there is no estimates. No don't estimate. give estimates. Don't estimates. Or... Don't require people to commit to estimates. Estimates mm-hmm. are bullshit. Because when it comes to creative work, which includes software development. We just don't know. How long is it going to take to make this feature? I don't know. It could mm. take two weeks. It could take two months. There's a version of this I could probably do in an afternoon. What we focus on is budgets. Hey, you have four weeks to come up with a great version of this general fuzzy outlined concept. And when you do it like that, you're inspiring trust in the employee that they can figure out how to come up with that Mm. great version of the feature. You give the budget that allows someone to work responsible, sustainable hours, that this isn't about crunching for 80 hours because you somehow got roped in to committing to some executive's harebrained version of what that feature should look like. No, you're doing this in collaboration with the designer you're working with on it, the support team you're working with on it, and you're gonna come up with something great, and you're gonna launch that. And that's going to be a much better way of working rather than hammering people down to sort of these hard estimates that really appear as though they're easy. We could say like, oh, we should launch V1 in like two months. That's why you're here. You're hired to do that. Well, does the employee have any control over what goes into V1? If they don't, then it's really bullshit.
1: Yeah, it's it's very interesting. The point system, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, so we're going to quantify something, like you're saying, that's artistic in its nature, creative in its nature. And so it's aspirationally very appealing to the business side, right? Like, oh, we have some predictability. Oh, we can take these artists and we can make them into widgets and we can define them like a sales executive. But the truth is, it is creative. And if you give a lot of this is about trust, right? I think remote work is about trust and giving people taking out the point system really is about trust with the team and we have a team that's qualified and you trust them you say listen here's the canvas four weeks here's the goal a product that's worth paying for go you know it you you treat people like adults and you know you you might get a better result
0: i I guarantee you you're going to get a better result there's been just sort of a, a ton of research into this um Drive 2.0 was a a Daniel Pink's book, which outlines basically what motivates employees. Mm. And you go, they're motivated by mastery, autonomy, purpose. These are the things you can get when... You line work up in this way. And I think that the sad thing about the agile development approach, which was, it was full of good ideas, but this point-based system is is really a bad idea. Not mm. only, uh, maybe there was a kernel of a good idea inside here that like these points, they could be uh, personal, but, but oftentimes they're not, right? They're, they're treated as objective, as those programmers are just these machines you can plug in and you take out one programmer, oh, you lose 15 points. You plug in another programmer, you gain 15 points that's just not how things work that's not how humans work and i think it's just a, based on a fundamental misunderstanding of of that which makes it just a, a poor way of working
1: yeah it's uh it's very interesting i think there's there was a goal in there and like any incentive system this is one of the big problems with creating an incentive system in your own company is that people then start to think the incentive system is the goal of the company as opposed to the product. So you're like, okay, we need to get this many more customers. Like, okay, let's get these customers. And then you find out those customers churn next month or next year, they didn't actually need the product.
0: Right, <laughs> they're, they're Wells Fargo, right? You sign up a bunch of, yeah. y- you make a metric that is accounts opened, and the people underneath you who are being whipped into fulfilling those quotas, they will meet them by any means necessary, including opening accounts for dead people, right? And yeah. oh, and fraud. I mean, really... you woke
1: up one day and you had six accounts, and you're like, what happened here?
0: It's like, oh, oh fraud, and and an and incentive th- system th- gone awry. Problem. Yeah. This is the problem with all incentive systems. Incentive systems are simply bunk. Uh, There's another great book called Punished by Rewards by Alfie Cohen that -hmm. outlines all the scientific research on why incentive systems don't work. And the key reason is that they push out the intrinsic motivation that someone might have to do good work. And Mm -hmm. they replace it with extrinsic motivation, which is simply I'm going to sort of just optimize this thing I'm being told to optimize for. In programming and in software development, people have tried for a long time. I mean, all the way back in the 80s, we could count lines of code. If we count lines of code, we'll find the most productive programmer, right? Right. I think it was even Bill Gates who said something about if if you were giving sort of bonuses for um, lines of code, it's it's like uh, declaring the heaviest airplane to be a success. That's just not how these things are measured. The best... Program is not the biggest program. The most productive programmer is not the programmer who writes the most lines of code.
1: Yeah, and and when you get to scale, and a bunch of MBAs come into the business and try to quantify it, and now you've got people thinking in this sort of metacognition about the business, and they try to make it into a system, right? And it's like trying to make—you would never do that with music, right? Or if you did, you create a boy band where you'd be like, okay, well, we've just manufactured you know boys to men or whatever we think people want but it wouldn't stand the test of the times like bob dylan does or you know whichever artist actually wrote something soulfully do you want to turn your idea into a website do you want to blog and publish content maybe sell products or your service promote your physical or online business, or maybe you're doing an event or a special project. Well, Squarespace is the answer if you want to have a beautiful website set up in no time at all with e-commerce functionality. They're award-winning... Uh, customer support, and templates that are responsive and work on any device. Squarespace is beautiful, and it's all optimized for mobile, where most customers are coming from these days. You can also buy a domain and choose from over 200 extensions right on Squarespace. So it's so easy breezy. Boom, you get your domain, you get your website, you get your e-commerce set up, and you got that support if you need it. Here's a demo of Press using uh, Squarespace's templates to build a beautiful photography template for his passion project superhumanwallpaper.com which showcases all of the inbox zero images that he gets at the end of the day so go to squarespace.com right now for a free trial when you're ready to launch use the offer code twist and save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain go to squarespace.com get that free trial the website it will look beautiful your website's gonna look gorgeous They have so many beautiful templates, and the best part is everybody on your team is going to know how to edit and clean and crisp up that website with new content whenever you need it. They just keep making the product better and better over the years. They are the gold standard for building beautiful websites. Go ahead and go to squarespace.com and get that free trial. Use the promo code TWIST to save 10% off. The thing that really actually, I think, became the eye-opener here in Silicon Valley is with remote work, when... People stopped showing up to their offices because the commute became so oppressive in Silicon Valley specifically. Right. You you had these kids coming here to take a hundred fifty or two hundred thousand dollar development job. They would live in the city for four thousand dollars a month for a one bedroom. They would get on a bus for an hour and a half, go to Facebook, come back for an hour and a half, and so they're leaving the city from whatever it is, eight AM until eight PM. Can you imagine somebody doing a three-hour commute? Somebody who makes two hundred thousand dollars a year—it's bonkers. Like you're living life wrong, right? Like this is not the model of a great life.
0: A hundred percent. And I think this is one of those aspects of our entire approach to work ethics, so to speak, or mm-hmm. what qualifies as hard work, that is just utterly mind-blowing. I think on the same tangent, when I first read that Marissa Mayer. Was bragging about the fact that she was working 120 hours a week and she could do this by being strategic with her bathroom breaks. Mm. I was like, wait, you're an executive at one of the most successful companies in the world and arguably you have worse working conditions than a slave in ancient yeah, Egypt. Rome. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how is this? Like, why would you subject yourself to such a degree of. Uh, sort of poor working conditions. It just it blows my mind, and I think it's one of those key regressions that if you look over sort of the decades, you look back to like what were the aspirations of the white collar workers or the managers in like nineteen eighty or nineteen seventy? It was to take off early and go to the golf course and enjoy life, and I don't know, have yeah, I don't know, a drink at at four pm, right? It wasn't like hey, how can I stay at work mm. for as many hours as possible um uh, because that's my only source of satisfaction and meaning in life right. i think we've really just took taken a a seriously bad turn on that uh, on that road
1: now if a person is an elite athlete uh navy seal an artist uh, and they pursue their art basketball you know ice skating whatever it is they're doing training for the olympics whatever and they do it for 60 70 80 hours a week and the time passes really quickly and they love it, you don't have a problem with that.
0: First of all, I have a problem with the analogy because it's not true. If you look at any serious athlete, none of them are training 70 or 80 hours a week on any sustained sense of meaning of the word. They have these enormous breaks. Uh, I was just talking to my wife. I'm not a big fan of American football, NFL, mm. but no, I we mean, were just talking about so the season yeah. is over. And then I was like, when do they start up again? Like in March or whatever? Yeah. She was like, no, they start up in September. Like, Bit, athletes, long breaks. more yeah. than anyone, know that you need huge amounts of break. There's been a ton of studies done on this, on, for example, the impact of sleep. There's a, a great company in Chicago, I think it's called Sleep Advisors. Or, oh, man, I should know this. Hopefully, we can put it in the show notes. But yeah. they consult for major um, franchises, NFL, NBA, and so on. They've quantified just the dramatic effects you get from getting better sleep, getting better rest, that simply... Mm pushing all day, every day, all week, all year. That's not how you make a great athlete. You make a great athlete by doing concentrated, concerted uh, lessons, and then you have tons of rest. And I think this goes for everyone, Uh, regardless of whether you're a musician or you're an athlete or, or whatever. You need downtime. You need sort of a creative respite when it's a creative pursuit. You need physical uh, respite when it comes to that I work out with a trainer who's, who's trained Olympians and one of the things he, he always goes on and on about is like dude w- training four days in a row is just going to destroy your body you're mm. not going to actually end up being a better athlete you're not going to end up being better at anything and I think it's, it's some of those lessons that lie just beneath the surface of a story of say Michael Jordan like oh he was the first one at the gym and he was the last one to leave that story has some qualifications that we would be wise to to take into account
1: yeah. I mean, I, Kobe was known for just a relentless 365-day-a-year work ethic. I think Michael Jordan was known more for going and playing blackjack till 6 a.m. and then going to the gym and still winning the game. He was almost like he was handicapping himself. He was so good,
0: he just well, would stay the out all night. Yeah. No, that one, in that case, I mean, it happens
1: to be true. He was... He, no, no, no. He was a night I, owl. I,
0: I get the part. I, I take the part of like mm. him playing back, blackjack until 6 a.m. Yeah. I don't take the part about Kobe working out, uh, what, 12-hour days for 365 days a year. That just doesn't happen, which I think is another thing that's interesting here. There's been another wonderful story or, or study based on people who say they work 80 or more hours a week, oh, yeah. how long yeah. do they actually work? And people yeah. are full of bullshit, right? They, they consider everything. There was one... Um, Example of like a CEO that said, oh, I'm working like 90 hours a week. And he was including everything, like um, going out to dinner. Well, I was thinking about work. Uh, Okay. No, that doesn't. That's not what we're talking about here.
1: I, I tell people who work for me that the average person, our investment company puts in, I think, 45 to 55 hours a week. Of that, probably 30 to 45 is in the office and probably five is like responding to emails or texts and stuff like that off hours. I think a solid 50 um, and sometimes 60 is like the upper bounds of not burning out. That's where I've come to in my career is like, yeah, you know, you, there are times when things are competitive and you you have to ratchet things up. I've been in those situations. But I think sustainability for me is somewhere in that 50 hour a week range. What do you think a sustainable work schedule is. I mean, obviously it varies by person, but let's just say in business, you're in a competitive environment, you want to win.
0: Yeah, I think what's also fascinating about this is that we don't have to sort of just grasp numbers out of personal anecdotes. Yeah, That this kind of stuff has been studied intensely as well. And it's been codified into these social contracts that we're gonna have eight hours for work, eight hours for play, and eight hours for sleep. That working a 40 hour work week is actually a really uh, well designed system. And it wasn't designed out of benevolence. Like it was Henry Ford constructing the Model T assembly line going, yeah. Do you know what? If I make my workers work 50 hours a week or 60 hours a week, they just end up making more mistakes, putting parts in the wrong way. And I have to take essentially automobiles that aren't working right back and fix them. And it costs more. And, so, and his other reasoning, just,
1: yeah, his other reasoning was I want my workers to have a car. And have a longer weekend to go drive it somewhere and stay at a motel overnight. So he's actually thinking, and I think this is one of the things that tech people have to start thinking about is, well, what do we want our, what do we want the consumer base to be? And when you think about minimum wage, one of the best arguments for Apple or Amazon paying 15 or 20 bucks an hour, which is the minimum wage in Australia and other, you know, sort of more functioning democracies is like, you know what? If they have that extra five bucks, maybe they buy an iPhone. You know, every eighteen months instead of thirty six. Like, it's actually going to benefit you in the long term. And they did it up in Seattle, and it turned out the restaurant. They thought the restaurants were going to all go out of business, and it turns out they had more customers. And it was like, hey, geniuses! The people who work at the restaurants are going to other restaurants because they can afford it again.
0: It's yeah, kind of it's interesting. One of those things were just like, hey, if we just made a slightly fairer, uh, equitable society oh, wait, it's better for everyone. Like having just a tiny handful of people hoarding everything at the top, it doesn't even benefit the tiny handful of people hoarding everything at the top. It's just you end up creating a worse society in all the factors, right? Not just the economy, but politically and socially. And and on any factor you care measure the prosperity and success of a society, you end up just fucking it up. Like you really need to, to... to design society around like something like uh, a Rawls Vale where you go, Hey, if I didn't know where I end up, how do I want society to work? If I can't decide at the inception that I'm going to be part of the 1%, what kind of support systems would I like? What would I like my healthcare system to look like? What would I like my education system to look like? What would I like my uh, socioeconomic support system to look like? Yeah. It's not super complicated, uh, Moral philosophy here. Tax
1: season is almost here, and if you are a small business owner or if you work for yourself, self employed, you're going to want to get your taxes done by somebody you can trust. Whether you're a freelancer or a gig worker, or maybe you've got some complex capital gain stuff going on, huh? Like an angel investor might, like me. Well, tax file. Is the answer you can get your taxes done without having to waste time or money looking for the perfect CPA? Yes, you can use Tax File T A X F Y L E, and it's trusted by over fifty thousand customers across the country. Tax File is an on-demand tax filing app that connects consumers to professional CPAs within minutes. CPAs are routed to jobs based on specialization. So you can rest assured that you'll always be connected with the right pro for your job. Tax File offers safe, secure document sharing, which is essential, in-app communication between you and your pro, so you're not wasting any time, and crystal clear transparency throughout every step of the process. So here is your call to action, the old CTA. Just sign up and get connected to a pro and watch the magic happen. Visit taxfile.com slash twist to get 15% off your return up to $20. And that's T-A-X-F-Y-L-E dot com slash twist, T-W-I-S-T. Thanks again to Taxfile for supporting independent media like this week in startups. Let's get back to this amazing episode. You grew up in Denmark? I know yes. you went to university there. And, and that is interesting. There's a term, getting to Denmark, which means getting to a high-functioning society amongst the elites in the globe, like when they go to Davos and other places. I haven't been to Davos, but at other conversations with these globalist-type people. They're like, we have to get to Denmark, which is a really great compliment. It means what the people want is what they get in their government. Yeah, When we look at America and how amazing we've performed on a capitalistic basis, but how poorly we've performed in government services healthcare and education are a disaster here we spend the most we get the least but on a capitalist basis we have the giant companies that for a little 300 million person country are you know taking over the globe uh, and we are the benefactors of that as a country what do you think about that balance where our government's completely dysfunctional we don't get what we need out of it yet we spend all this money but capitalism you know unconstrained capitalism in america i would call it or very vibrant uh you know less rules based capitalism let's call it fluid capitalism extreme capitalism there's got to be a word for it uh extreme late capitalism late stage late stage i think is the <laughs> insulting word for it cuz it kind of says like this is the end of the game yes so late stage capitalism or extreme capitalism i'll call it um what what it was it worth it or not worth it because we do you know have Google and Facebook and Amazon and all these incredible services uber airbnb we we are the owners of those as a country, those companies, right, so was it worth it or not?
0: Well, first of all, we're not the owners. there's a small handful of people who are the owners who get the benefits uh the lion's share of the benefits of those companies, so positing as though like hey, this is a shared benefit to America is is doing a disservice to all the people who this is not a benefit at all. In fact, they are the prey. Uh, if you look at companies like Facebook and Google, there's certainly people who benefit from it. And oh, then yeah. there are certain people who are being exploited by it. And I think perhaps that's even more concrete when you look at the gig economy and you look at companies like... Um, Uber or DoorDash or, or any of these other atrocious companies who essentially have built their wealth off exploitation and violation of, of people and misclassifying them as, uh, as contractors instead of workers. But let's put that aside and take the big picture first, which is, sort of is capitalism a good thing? I, this is one of those arguments that I always find so fascinating because in the context of you saying uh, getting to Denmark, that's the goal, right? Denmark is a capitalist system. What are you talking about? They're free markets. They're free companies. They're not state-owned companies. Um, Much of Western Europe has simply decided that there are certain parts of the economy, that certain parts of society that operate poorly under market economics. They are education and healthcare in particular. So if you look at uh, most of Western Europe, and it's not just Denmark, although Denmark is perhaps a, well, really all of Scandinavia is a a particularly well-functioning uh, example of the government running healthcare, not paying for insurance. Running like the doctors at the hospitals, they're employed by the government. The same thing is in the UK. And you take education, the universities in Denmark. They're not sort of private universities where the government kicks in on, on the debt scale. No, they're run by the government, and you know what? They're run really well. In fact, when I came from Denmark to here, I was astounded at just how poorly those two parts worked. When I came to the US, I had a, a girlfriend at the time who was enrolled in Loyola University. And first of all, the cost was just obscene. I think we were paying something like 30 or 35 grand a year for, uh, for that. I, I forget the specifics. Sounds Which, about when right. you come from mm. a com- country like Denmark where education is not only. Uh, paid for by the government, there's a stipend for any student to cover basic living expenses. Explain that because that's mind blowing
1: to Americans. Explain how the stipend works. How much is it? How do you get it? Technically,
0: like it, it, it's not means tested. So if you are a well, actually that's not entirely true. If if, if you work, um, uh, anyway, let me just go to the, to the basics. Yeah. The basics is that you get about a thousand bucks a month to pay for your living expenses while you attend university. And you can do this for up to, I think, like six years or something, which a master's degree in Denmark is, is usually around five years, and then they allow you one year to essentially gap it. Most people don't necessarily finish their master's degree in five years. Um, and then I think there's probably also an extension available if you pursue a PhD. The, the interesting part for me, though, where you can sort of say, um, like, how is this affordable? is that in an American frame of mind, you think like, oh, is the government really paying like 30 or 40 or 50 grand a year for all these students? Of course they're not. The education system is incentivized to be efficient. My entire education at the Copenhagen Business School, I looked at this once and I thought it was something like $18,000 for a three-year bachelor's degree. Like that That was what it cost the Danish state to produce that education. And you go like, Well, that's obviously a lot less. I know there are some examples where in-state tuition and so on and so forth. But if you just say, what does it cost to educate anyone who wants a higher education and give them the stipend to allow them to live while they do so, what will it cost society? And the answer is a whole lot less than you would think, a whole lot less than what is spent on the American system, which is a system that's heavily gate. Kept right. Yeah. Well, either you have to have these extreme uh, grades, and you almost have to prepare for college in kindergarten, or you have to be very wealthy. I mean, that's a broken system. And then on healthcare, it's the same thing. Denmark has great healthcare now. Every society, even if they have great healthcare, have people who complain about that healthcare. That's just the, the nature of it, right? But if you look at the overall stats, uh, life expectancy and, and, and all these basic things, uh, Denmark does just way better than the US. And Denmark spends something, I think it's like 8% of GDP, and the US spent 18% of GDP yeah, on healthcare. So, so obviously, here you have two wrong, of the yeah. most important functions of society, healthcare and education. The American system is a for-profit capitalist system that is just being whipped by state-funded and run systems. And you go like, do you know what? That should just give you some room for pause here, that maybe the capitalist system in all factors of the society is not the clear answer. That doesn't mean that we can't have uh, for-profit companies producing phones. Yeah, that works great. Like, hey, get your phone on the free market. You just, you're just you not that interested in the free market when you're about to die.
1: Yeah, I mean, it. it does seem like when you do this hybrid of because we do have Medicare and we have some state-sponsored things and we have some like, And know, people love him. Well, they do love I him. Mean, yeah, th- <laughs> it's like they're fighting for it. That's how they make their decision on yes. how to vote is for that. So it is even more. Yes. We just have to go one way or the other. You know, I think it has to be completely capitalistic or it has to be, you know, in a free market where customers are paying. But this, we've picked the worst of all worlds. To tie it to employment creates yes. the most – um, unhealthy dynamic, but I mean, I have people who will go- can't work for some of the startups I've invested in because the healthcare is not good enough, or they right. can't leave right. a company that's hit scale because they can't get as good healthcare. So now you have employers dealing with employees who either ha- can't, don't want to go or don't want to leave, and it just creates this total dysfunction, right? Like in terms of like we were talking about before in the- <coughs> Isn't that ironic reasons. that
0: here you have a market sort it's of approach that's essentially sure. undermining the free market? It's undermining the yeah. the free movement of of labor. People can't change jobs. They can't yeah. do all these things. And what are we doing this for? For some sort of uh, ideological obsession that the free market is the right answer for everything? It yeah. is so clearly not the right answer for healthcare. And I think. Uh, Failing to address that is creating some of those uh, great frictions in American society and in American politics. And I think hopefully we're finally getting to the point where people have just had enough. And of course they've had enough. You, you look at all yeah. the objective measures of uh, medical bankruptcies or, or the outcome of the medical system, you go like, this shit is broken. And Good I time. say that yeah. as s- someone who's very rich yeah. in, in sort of comparison to, to the average sort of the standard. And yeah. I can afford any kind of healthcare I want. And I've gotten any kind of health care I wanted and the system is still completely insane I go in to get some sort of checkup I have to fill out more papers than I don't know applying for a driver's license in the Soviet Union would have yeah. required right you go like the system is more baroque-ly, uh, bureaucratic and just the whole wrestling of everything with insurances and so on—it it is just bust like on uh, all objective f- factors this the system is just bust and it needs to be replaced
1: yeah, I mean, in this we are in agreement, and and it seems like when you talk about getting to Denmark, America, it seems like it takes an extra decade or two to get through these things. If you look at gay marriage and you look at um, cannabis regulation, you know we're so far behind on these things, and then it tips no. at a certain point.
0: No, this is what gives me such hope about America yeah. that uh, for all the failings in America, there is absolutely a willingness to change. But it, not legal in Denmark. Not legal in Denmark. not Legal in Denmark. Not legal in almost all of Europe. There That's is crazy. A, a, Portugal and and in uh, in Holland, these things there's either uh, decriminalizations or full on legalization. It's not legal anywhere else. And wow. this has happened in the U.S. in a very relatively short amount of time and this is what gives me such hope and why i agitate so lively for for all these advantages yeah. i know american can do this and i know it particularly so because as you said at the top of uh, of the start of this is america is uniquely rich you look mm. at gdp per capita america just trounces denmark I mean, it's more than 20 percent higher gdp per capita in the yeah. u.s than it is in denmark the money is here it's just being yeah. spent very poorly 18 percent of gdp spent on health care bonkers Right, bonkers, The fact yeah. that the, the federal government can't provide these services is simply just a factor of taxation. The U.S. collects something like 17% of GDP in taxes. Compare that to France uh, or, or Denmark, and it's in the, in the mid to high 40s. Literally in Denmark, we collect three times the amount of GDP per capita to provide these basic services to society. And what do you get? You get Denmark is literally number two on the list of happiest people in the world. Number one is Finland, which has a very similar system to to Denmark, right? And the U.S., I think, is 19.
1: And if you just think about, like, also when people get pregnant uh, and have babies, you get time off paid for by the government or by companies? How does it work?
0: Uh, Usually it's a bit of a combination, but, yeah, Yeah. that's a great point because this is really all of the Western industrialized world has paid uh, parental leave, and yeah. The U.S. has none. Like literally zero weeks assigned yeah. uh, in general worker protections. You go to a place like Denmark, you get um, uh, six months off at full pay, and then you can take additional time after that at reduced pay. And you're like, I mean, I have three kids. Yeah. Well, we have three kids, and having gone through that, I just I can't even imagine someone who has only like two weeks. Yeah. To from when when they have a, a kid until. The wife has to get back to work or, or the partner who had the kid has to get back to work. You go like, Jesus, that is just inhumane. And why? Why do we need that, right? So yeah. uh, that's one area where I'd actually give tech some kudos, that there's been some movement here on policy that a lot of tech companies actually have quite generous parental leave programs now. Um, obviously, that should just be a societal yeah, it wide. should definitely. And should also, be a I should actually say, tech companies have these wide, generous policies for their treasured unicorn employees, their engineers, their designers, their project managers. They're not exactly giving these benefits out to their gig workers or their um, call center staff or, yeah. or any of the other uh, so worker areas of the economy. perfect,
1: perfect segue. You were lamenting the gig worker economy um, and that they're being exploited. I'm curious if you look at you know, uh, being a, a ride sharing driver or delivering food as an entry level, you know, I'm going to work at 20 hours a week and make whatever, 12 to $20 an hour, depending on how busy it is. Do you have a problem with that? Or do you have a problem with it starts to tip over into full time? They should get benefits. Cause it seems to me like these jobs have already existed and nobody complained about them. But if Uber, Lyft and DoorDash become large companies, then all of a sudden it's like, well, this feels unfair.
0: Well, it's just exploitation on an industrial scale, and I think there are many problems here. One problem is that no one is taking home after expenses 12 to 20 bucks an hour. There's been numerous studies on this. Basically everything hinges on the fact that you convince gig workers to run down the assets that they have. You convince them to run down the asset like their car, defer maintenance, um, defer uh, depreciation, basically not dealing with any of the costs of actually providing the service. and. So e- even in the best of cases, or I don't even know if it's a best case, even in the case where someone just works 10 hours a week because they want to make some extra cash is utterly exploitive. The fact that gig workers are not being paid for their expenses, the fact that they're not being paid while they're waiting between jobs. I saw one study just come out, was it last week, about the fact that uh, Uber and Lyft are majorly contributing to um, Congestion in cities to to traffic because forty percent of the time spent working for these apps are spent without passengers in the car, and those forty percent of that hours they're not being paid for that hours. You're so like, if I, a freelancer, though, I mean you you've
1: worked with a lot of freelancers. If a freelancer is between writing blog posts or designing logos, uh, but they want that flexibility, shouldn't they be able to have it and be ten ninety nine? I think th- I think there, or can only rich people a, be ten ninety nine?
0: Sure. But I think there's just a material categorical difference between someone who's making uh, essentially no money after you account for expenses um, or whether that makes up for it or not. Everyone I've ever known who've done consulting in tech. They don't charge like what a full-time worker would get paid per hour. They charge what three, five, ten times as much because they know that the job and the income is lumpy. So you might have yep. a great contract here for for a month. That's full time, great. But you got to make essentially three months' pay to to fill up your funnel and, and and deal with that. So it's just not at the same scale. I think that the uh, fundamental underlying issue here is that uh, gig workers, as you say, they should be paid $15, 20 bucks an hour after expenses, accounting for time spent servicing the platform. And that includes the time driving from dropping off one patron to, to picking up the next. Um, yeah, I think now Uber think that this, is doing that. They, they,
1: they pay for that time, but I don't think they pay for the wait time. And there's a minimum now uh, with the 50 cents an hour or whatever uh, 50 cents a mile fee. So I don't think you're correct in that they're making under what would be minimum wage in any case, because how, why would millions of people then choose those jobs, David, if- there are so many other jobs that are looking. Like, why would you choose to do
0: this D- if there are not. so many this is, this is This is desperation. When you have some, it's kind of like, why would anyone ever get a payday loan? You know what the interest rates are in payday loans? They're outrageous. Why would anyone ever do it? This is a multi-billion dollar industry. When you have an asset, like a car, and you need cash, sometimes you will look at that equation and go, do you know what? It may be I'm deferring maintenance. It may be I'm running down my asset, but that's tomorrow. Today, I need 80 bucks. So I'm going to drive for Uber or Lyft or DoorDash, even if on the long or scale. or all three. I mean, they're most yeah, people or are using three. multiple, yeah. Or, or and and then on the long scale, I'm not going to make any money. But the long scale just doesn't matter. Tomorrow matters. Paying the bill that's due now matters. Uh, picking up groceries matter. And this is kind of the preca- or, or preying on the precarious that I find just so disappointing. And I find it doubly disappointing because I remember when Uber first came out, and it was essentially. Uh, black cars, yep. right? Um, uh, and, and I thought, like, wow, what a great idea. And That's this awesome. was a yep. relatively expensive service um, because it is relatively expensive to have a private chauffeur, right? This is the other illusion we have here is that like, suddenly everyone could afford to have private sh- chauffeurs, private shoppers doing all this work for them while those workers were being well-paid and the companies turned into multi-billion-dollar companies. no. No, mm. society didn't just fundamentally change in any of those ways such that we could all enjoy an army of servants. Um, so I think that there's, just, there's some fundamentals here that are uncomfortable. I think these companies are continuing to be unprofitable because the real product that they have, for example, getting chauffeured around, is a high-end luxury product that people just can't afford at the scale of, of its current use. That maybe there's a great Uber that's a $2 billion company or an $800 million company, or careful, whatever the still size have a, of the still industry have a large was portion. for black cap. Be,
1: be careful with the valuation talk, David. I still have a big piece of that company. <laughs> Let's not run down the valuation just yet, okay?
0: <laughs> well, I think this is exactly why I need to talk about it, right? Because I don't have yeah. a piece of any of these companies, which is yeah. why I talk about Valuations in in general, because I yeah. think they're they're really important, and it's really important to well, examine who owns these companies, who funds them, and 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 look at like how does that maybe buyers their view on on whether we should have a, a broad social net, or whether companies should be required to hire people as employees. Um, these well, are I mean, the conversations the, we the, the, need the to
1: argument have. I think for um, low prices for Ubers is that it gives. Uh, back to the discussion about you know people having access to stuff. It gives a larger group of people access to actually get a ride when they need one, right? If, yes. if you, I lived in Brooklyn in the boroughs, you couldn't get a taxi. You know, you might be able to get what they called the gypsy cab back in the day. You pay somebody under the books in an illegal car, three or four bucks to take you somewhere. And, and Uber does provide a really safer, much safer, tracked, uh, you know, down to the millisecond, like where the car is. Um, and vetted approach than those cabs right and so that was progress well, in my mind
0: yeah maybe right you saw the uber safety report what two thousand rapes in a year or well i mean like
1: you that? have to or understand the denominator or... on these as well i mean the yeah, denominator yeah, no, no, is just the giant right? 1.7 billion rides in a quarter so sure. i think just, and, just they're, let, and they're releasing it
0: let's just not pretend that they've solved the inherent safety issue that is getting into a stranger's personal car Right, they have it. Yeah. Right, maybe they made they've made it better. much safer. And I don't even they, want to argue that point because I, I think I, I, right. I think they've made Uber, it, I think it. made it much Uber safer than a cab. Better, Uber is a better product in the user experience. Yeah. in user experience, there's and no doubt. You about admit
1: that, it's right? safer, right? I maybe. Mean, it, it I, has I, to I'm be not safer at that
0: point. But I we would can put that one aside. Here's
1: the thing: it, it has to be safer because you know exactly where the cab is at every point, and you have the. ability the credit card number of the passenger. So for both parties, you have their entire history of where they've taken people and you have the minute-by-minute location, second-by-second location of the car. With a cab, you know you could have any, people used to share licenses in the yellow cabs and they could drive anywhere and they're not tracked and there's no central dispatch tracking it in real time where you can press the safety button and say there's a problem.
0: Sure. On remediation, on following up, if there was uh, great investigation into these claims, you would have more data, no doubt about Mm -hmm. it. One of the key problems with Uber and other platforms is they've been very reluctant to do that. Not only have they been reluctant to do that, they've been actively interfering in investigations. One of the main scandals that came out before Uber went public was when one of the senior executives went to India to essentially, what, get the medical records on a rape victim there because it was looking bad. I think it's just, this story is very muddy on whether safety is actually I think that, that, actually there's is been better.
1: some regime change there. But you, you don't... Yeah, sure, right? Do you know it costs at least five times as much to acquire a new customer as it does to keep an existing one? Your existing clients are your best new clients. Don't lose them. And a startup, especially ones in the SaaS space, that's software as a service, enterprise they call it sometimes as well, building relationships with your customers is everything. And without having those... Rabid, raving fans, those net promoter score nines and tens who are advocates for you. Your business does not stand a chance because other people have curated and built those deep relationships to have advocates in the market selling your product when you're asleep or working on something else. But you can't earn raving fans with basic software that treats customers like a ticket. They don't want to be a ticket. They want to be an individual. Help Scout was created to fix that problem. It's a customer service platform designed with your customers in mind. No ticket numbers or robo-emails, just conversations with real people. Their all-in-one product includes shared inboxes for email, built-in live chat, and a help center for self-service content, which can be embedded on your website in just minutes. As your business scales from hundred to 10,000 to a million customers, Help Scout grows with you and leaves customers with a delightful human experience. Over 10,000 of the world's most customer-centric businesses like Basecamp, Trello, Figma, Superhuman, and Zapier are using Help Scout to talk with their customers and build that deep bond and turn them into super fans. Eligible startups under 1 million in funding, less than 2 years old can access everything Help Scout has to offer for only $50 a month for your first year. Visit helpscout.com/twist to learn more. That's helpscout.com/twist to get started today. And thanks to my friends at Help Scout for supporting independent media like this week in startups. It means a lot to the fans of this show and to me and my team. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. What do you think the result should be of, because this is one of the statistics I got early on from TK and other folks was, and it's still true today, the majority of drivers are switching from 10 hours to 50 hours the next week, like massive swings in how often they want to work and how they want to work. You're a proponent of people having agency, you just said, and you wrote a book about it. You've orchestrated your company around that. So you yourself say, hey, this is how white-collar workers should work. Shouldn't the blue-collar workers be able to have the same freedom that you yourself promote for white collar workers,
0: set their own schedule. I, I. I, I think that's, that's a great debate because it's this fallacy of what Blue-collar workers want most of all is the freedom to choose. They want the flexibility. Absolutely not. If you ask these people, what would you rather? Would you rather have the flexibility to set your own hours, or would you rather be paid, let's say, 15 bucks an hour, have benefits, have uh, sort of an expectable schedule? They'd go like, of course I'd rather have those things. The, no, I think you're 100% a wrong. Income.
1: You just said yourself that you want to have lunch with your family, and go for a walk outside. That's exactly what these people want. They're L- no different like, than you, look, David. Look, they want to d- drop their kids off that. at school. No, that's exactly what they're doing. They're dropping their kids off at of school. They drive Uber for a couple hours, pick their kids up, drop them off at whatever they're doing in the you know sports or something, and then they go do a couple of rides. That's exactly the pattern of people who are using the gig economy yeah. is that they want to do hours of that's work the- in pockets that they can set. That's that what is they the idealized
0: themselves. version of, of the people who don't live at the edge of precarity. I just heard a stat that was 90% of all the Uber drivers in New York, they work full time. And when you talk to these drivers, as I've done a fair bit, not on Uber because I refuse to to use Uber after the torrent of scandals, but I still use Lyft. And Lyft is essentially the same system with marginally better uh, governance perhaps. Uh, but when you talk to these workers, like their concerns are not like, oh, yeah, and then like in the morning I was just playing with my kids. In, in the, no, no. Why like, would they work full are time? These poor people getting exploited. Wait, wait.
1: But if you're saying that they're making less than minimum wage and they're being exploited – and they're working full time why wouldn't they take one of the massive number of full time jobs available at Starbucks, Apple, Walmart, Target, all these places that can't find workers today. Those people cannot uh, find uh, workers uh. and they pay 15 bucks an hour. 12 to 15 an hour at those places. Why would they take the car driving job if it's so bad? That's where I think your well, argument breaks of- down because they're opting into it and you said it before like well they're doing it on the margins. But now you're saying they do it full time, which might be the case in New York. If they are full time in New York, aren't there better options if they're making under minimum wage? Which they're not. They're making well, clear, it's guaranteed in New York for that a they're lot making of people,
0: right? Yeah. Which is why the churn is so high. I saw another stat. It's basically like 100% of the drivers churn every year or something like that. Like truly, astronomically uh, high uh, not uh, churn rate. Yeah. And part of that is that um, people realize what the true cost is after it's been a while. Like taking two Uber rides or doing it for a month, you don't incur any of the costs that are inherent with driving your own automobile around, right? You're not going to be changing tires. You're not going to be having to change a transmission. You're not going to do any of the things that happen if you drive... 200,000 miles, right? Mm. So I think the this idealized version that is essentially sort of suburban people who want, just want to make a little bit of extra cash, and that is how this is made up. It's just bunk. It's not. Well, I think it's the original idea, by people. the way,
1: just to give you the original it, it, idea. Maybe it, that was the original, the original idea was. If you was. had a, I think the problem is if somebody buys a new car and they're experiencing that huge uh, depreciation, that is an issue. Uh, The idea always was with Lyft, especially, or Zimride and Sidecar, those first ones was, hey, you got this car already. You know, you've already bought it. That's the expectation. You might as well use it for some and make a little extra money on the side and pay for it. And that was sort of the expectation in the early days. And then people liked it so much. The drivers liked it so much. They opted into doing it as careers because those people do have agency and could go work in other jobs. I think it's one of the problems where your argument breaks down, David, is that you think Rich people have agency and can change jobs, and you think the poor people are don't have agency and can't change jobs. They can. This just happens to be a l- entry level job. Yeah. that's how I look yeah, at it. It's an entry level they, job. they change and... from
0: for, from one level of exploitation to the next. If you look at the people who are actually making minimum wage, which by the way is not fifteen dollars in most of the country, right? Like it's closer to no, seven it, or eight bucks. Yeah. Uh, in, in most of the country, it, oftentimes like. People who who are making minimum wage and and dealing with that situation, they don't have real agency. They don't just work one job. They work multiple jobs. And in in any case, I think there's a sort of maybe, I mean, as as some of these arguments we've had on Twitter, you're an investor in Uber, right? Like I'm not going to convince you that Uber is a predatory uh, organization (laughs) that exploits poor people because like… That's just not cognitively dissonant with your, no, your, your I, I, position, you could, right? If and you want to ask fair. me what my
1: position is, actually, my position on it is I think it's provided a massive safety net for society of an entry-level job that anybody can do at any time to make money. And that actually produce, produces this great foundation, which has resulted in us having the lowest unemployment in the history of the country. Because we have these entry-level jobs that people can jump in and out of, while they plan for better jobs and increasing their skills, which are freely available to learn on the internet, they can go learn any skill this on the just internet. Th- yes, a- I, and, I think and level this is up. This great
0: because this is the American dream pitch: that you start sort of at the entry level, yep. and then you have all the opportunities available to you, and you yep. will pull yourself up, and you will get to a better place. Yes. The only problem with that is the American dream is false in America. If you look at any of the studies on social mobility, the U.S. have one of the lowest degrees of social mobility. Wait, false Basically, how? False
1: that it's not happening or false that it's not possible?
0: Well, everything is possible. That's an uninteresting discussion on a socioeconomic level. Well, how possible The interesting is discussion is at what, at what rate does it happen? At which rate does someone from the bottom 10% end up in, let's just say – the top 40%, right? And the rates in the U, and it's not even bottom 10%, it's more like in, in, in the bottom 80%. What, what does it take to go from blue collar to, to white collar in the U.S.? And this is one of the things I care about because that's what I went through in Denmark. My parents were absolutely uh, working class. They were probably working class poor. I didn't know. I didn't know until I was maybe 16, 18, because I had no consequences from it. I got a wonderful education. I got a great healthcare system, which, by the way, I needed because I had some hearing issues when I was a, was a kid that required multiple surgeries and so on and so forth. We never paid a dime for it. It was never in our consciousness that access to medical care was, was something that was, was charged for, right? So I had the experience of essentially living through the American dream of, of ending up in a far better place than where I started socioeconomically. Yeah. And if you look at the statistics, America just sucks for that. Like, if you were born poor, you are likely to end up poor. There isn't this great transmission of poor people ending up being rich people in the U.S. Why do you think that is? It's possible. There are lottery winners. There are uh, exceptional individuals who will sort of defy the odds. That happens all the time. It happens in all societies. But that is not a great way to gauge whether you have a fair and sound society. Um, And why do I think that is? A lot of it is about these uh, um, sort of baselines, right? that, hey, get, can you get a great education if you're poor in the U.S.? It's pretty difficult. You can be an exceptional student and then maybe you can get um, scholarships and so on and so forth. But if we're only allowing the exceptional out of poor people to essentially get a proper education, yeah, well, we really haven't solved anything structurally. We've just allowed a handful of, of very fortunate and uh, perhaps very skilled people to perpetrate the myth that the American dream is still alive. And it's not. It's absolutely dead.
1: Yeah. See, that, the only problem with the argument that the American dream is not alive is that I see it every day in what I do here in Silicon Valley. Because you see inve- angel investing, you
0: see anecdotes. You don't, I don't see, see anecdotes. The I, lived I, I experience scale. of three hundred million people. You see oh. a handful of people, and you see the ones that are exceptional by the fact that they're in front of you. Right? right. How many poor people are, are making it in front of you, making a pitch to you? None of them. Right? Oh, no, that's or not true. If that's they are, true. it's the exceptional I, large, uh, proportion I would, of them. I
1: would say a large number of them come from blue-collar backgrounds uh, with their parents. Uh, that actually is a trend where that, can, I think, how, how many
0: people have you seen? A thousand? Well, two besides thousand? the two of us Ten on the phone thousand? call
1: here, yeah. It's, it's, I would say it's a significant <laughs> portion of startup founders come from that background. But that could be an outlier situation where – we are. There is a bias there. We're seeing I guarantee the you who, that it is because I've actually yeah.
0: looked at the stats, and yeah. if you look at the stats for social mobility, which is the way you rate the American dream, can you go from rags to riches? It happens worse in America than almost any other Western society, and you just go like, for me, as someone who's immigrated to the U.S., I just go with indignation. That is fucked up. How did we end up with why such did you a have such society? A bad ex-
1: why did you have such a different experience?
0: Why did you become Because so I had an exceptional experience. First of all, I was prepared for that exceptional experience by going through all these safety nets. I yeah. guarantee you, I would never have been qualified to work with Jason and sort of start the company and run it for 20 years with him if the Danish state had not paid for my health care, had not paid for my education, had not paid for all of these things that made my sort of lived experience such that I didn't feel like I had to drive a taxi like my dad did.
1: Right. Uh, my dad was a bartender. Which, I mean, that's so a, that, very that similar a job. statement
0: of truth. <laughs> Like, my dad literally drove a taxi on and off yeah. in, in Denmark for, for quite a while. And, yeah, I didn't look forward to, to that being my prof- – it didn't even occur to me that that was something that I had to do, right? Like, I was yeah. on a different track right from the get-go because there's a of social – How much of go ahead. the upward
1: mobility do you think is people giving up on the American dream and not being motivated to go online and learn? Because when we were coming up, none of this information was available online today – every course at MIT, majority of the courses at Stanford, Harvard, are all available for free. And if you had somebody come into your office at 37signals, makers of course Basecamp.com, and they said, listen, I took these six courses over at MIT, here's my coursework in AI, and you were hiring an AI person, would you in any way care that they had gone to MIT and paid them or had just done the courses online? And in fact, would you not pick the person who is self-motivated enough to take the six courses in AI machine learning and hire them over the person who paid? Because I think it would be the latter.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've never cared about uh, credentials at Basecamp. We don't even look at these things. I don't know at which universities the people who who work with me at Basecamp graduated from it's just not interested we look at the skills but when you look at those skills it's absolutely true the information is out there what is not out there is the time and the prerequisites to chase it if you don't have the the t- i mean there's a reason when people go to college they consider that a full-time job they may right. m- work part-time on top of that but going to college is a full-time job it's not a whole lot of people who just have 40 hours a week or even 20 hours a week to just say do you know what i'm going to after i've been at a Brutal minimum wage job. I'm going to get online and I'm going to study for five hours a night. The people who do that, they're truly exceptional. And how do we know that? Because there's so few of them. So yeah. The, so here's the, the, the proof problem. Is in the pudding.
1: Yeah, but well, no, maybe not. This may have to do with motivation because you know the average American watches four hours of TV a day. So if they swapped out but two hours of that, just a half of it, and watched educational material, would they not in a year or two be upwardly mobile in your mind?
0: No, because they would This is, this is really blaming poor people. Blaming poor people from their for their predicament is just. It's not an avenue. I think that's very interesting because you can do just comparative social studies. You can look at what happens in societies that have these well-functioning social nets that help people up. Like no, no, I, I would argue.
1: I'm I'm in agreement. With like, I don't healthcare think Danes in... are any
0: smarter than Im- Americans, right? Like, I, absolutely, it's a better that's system. That's not something to Americans great, think. Yeah.
1: We should have a world class education system like the Danish, uh, obviously, a- and we should have world class, you know, uh, healthcare. healthcare. But putting that aside, the fact is can't. that all the information. <laughs> I'm just going to well, stop I, you.
0: You uh, can't put those things I, aside.
1: If all the information is available to learn freely on the internet, freely everywhere you turn, any skill can be learned, and we're hiring people to your own admission based on their skill, not their credentials. Then maybe the educational system of going to college and spending all this money and having credentialing should give way to just learning skills quickly and the ability to do that on your own. (laughs)
0: I mean yes, it's much it more is affordable, a theoretical right? ability, and I think it's fine that it's available as, uh, as an option, but I think we have a lar- larger responsibility to society than simply cranking out workers. We should be cranking out citizens, people who are broadly versed in not just a narrow technical skill like, "Oh, I know JavaScript." Yeah, OK, that's good. You know what? We need fewer people who just know JavaScript and more people who know JavaScript and ethics and geography yeah. and all these other things, right? Like th- these are tool skills. This is like, hey, I'm really good with a calculator. What can I do? Do you know what? That, that's not that interesting. And I think it, it's really damaging for society as a whole. When it is interesting. The purpose of In, yeah. society just being, can you get a job? But it is interesting to add those skills to
1: get out of the low-paying entry-level jobs like delivering for DoorDash, Lyft, or Uber,
0: I agree. It's just not happening, right? You, you can just look at the statistics. Right now, the the masses working for Why? Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash Why? are not going online, and they're not getting Why? these amazing degrees, right? In fact, Why? they're often Why? getting re because it's hard, right? Like I went to a, a university degree that was essentially a hard for an degree. individual. It had it, it had professors, it had uh, uh, classmates, it had all these reinforcing social constructs that help you learn to just sit down on your own in front of a browser and then expect like you're going to be a world-class programmer you're going to be a world-class it's possible but it's exceptional and on a societal level we can't just look for exceptional s- solutions we must look for the common solutions that simply empirically work not just the ones we we sort of hope would work not all right so here's one that, that
1: seems to be working uh development schools seem to be producing some number of qualified developers and obviously there's some controversy around these income sharing agreements, ISAs. Lambda school is one. That's the one most people know. It's 20 or th- I think you pay 20 or you do 30,000 and they take a percentage of your salary capped at 30 or something like that. Do you think that's net good for society? That innovation of ISAs? Um, or do you think it's just a band-aid capitalistic, you know, acceleration of what's wrong with the American system. Oh, man. Where do you stand You're on really that
0: one? My, on my talking points. That last one, that was a zinger. It is absolutely yeah. a bandage on capitalist society failings. The fact that anyone would think that getting a remote sort of learning experience for nine months, like that's something people should be on the hook for 30 grand for, is just truly mind-blowing. I think on that particular issue about ISAs, they have all the same incentive pitfalls as subprime market mortgages did, that essentially the originators of these uh, bonds, they get to sell them off and do, I mean, that's the uh, controvert? well, controversy is a shitty word, the um, sort of- uh, It's the rub. Backlash, backlash yeah. against Lambda right now is the revelations that they're selling off the ISAs. That yeah, they put them into a aligned. bundle like mortgages, and they sell exactly. them to now somebody to go trench? collect on them. Yeah, like what the fuck? We've reduced people to tranches in a messing, uh, sort of securitized product. And then they're on the hook and they're being promoted. I read some of this promotional materials from some of the hedge funds and lending institutions who are partnering with Lambda about it. And they're all about, this is a great new avenue for attractive uh, returns and you can get 8% on like, hey, these are people. Like, do you know what there's just something something aesthetically extremely revolting around packaging I, people's lives up in this ways, slicing or, them and then selling them as a securitization. When what we really should have in the first place is what's on the actual docket right now in the political system. Hey, cancel student debt and make higher education tuition free. If That's it's the, the real solution.
1: state-run affordable one, not Yes. Let's
0: give oh, you course. know yeah no, no, no. $50,000 like, to, to Loyola or something or Stanford or yeah, yeah totally. No. you
1: yeah. ingr- know what?
0: I... <laughs> That's the other thing that I think is so funny about the American system is one of the reasons I don't give a shit about whether someone went to Stanford or Harvard or whatever is I went to Copenhagen Business School. I don't know if it's on list of good schools. I don't think it is. I didn't get an amazing education. I got a good education. It was fine. And you know what? That was that was all I need it, and that's what most people need. They just need a fine education. They don't need a luxury retreat for fifty grand a year that has sort of name brand professors. We're and We're in agreement shit on this or, one, big time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like, mean, what are don't you paying need for? to go to Cesar's Palace for for education?
1: Yeah, it makes no sense. Like p- people are going two hundred k in debt, and their job prospect with their philosophy degree or whatever it happens to be, even a developer, is a fraction of the debt they've accumulated. Like yes. their entire salary. And, and why?
0: Because For what it purpose? Got so it makes
1: no sense. Yeah. Right. And then other because people then, are again, paying their way to get in.
0: You know. <laughs> it's deferred. They're not paying two hundred grand up front. No yeah. one is, right? You yeah. just you accumulate student debt until you're you're crushed. And this is how right. we ended up with one point five trillion dollars yeah. in student and debt in the U.S. It's an absolute emergency.
1: And, and what the other part about it that's just horrific is, you know, young people don't have their frontal cortex fully developed. Which is where long-term decision making comes from. Which is why they'll like yes. do. There's yes. like a lot of viral videos on the internet of like young college kids doing stupid, dangerous shit. It is yes. because they they don't have long-term thinking yet. It's not the literally
0: brains are not developed. So they take a- on we a life give debt. Give the agency for two hundred grand of debt. Like, no, it makes, it makes no, no
1: sense. sense. I see. I like the I like the idea of Lambda School because putting aside the you know, bucketing people into like a tranche of here's a thousand loans, you're going to make 8% on it. I like the fact that they it's an option because these are high paying jobs. You have a Really good chance of getting one when you graduate, no. even if it's just sixty, seventy, eighty well, well, k No.
0: As a job, like, first of all, th- this, is, this whole thing with placement rates is. I've been getting a lot of information about this. I've really? You think it's a scam? A, once I started tweeting about it, uh-huh. um, I got a bunch of people who knew what things looked like on the inside who started yep. sending me messages. Oh, and boy. I Tell think me. once journalists and so on begin digging into what the actual placement rates are, at they're going to see school. a system that is just yeah. underly. Yeah, Atlanta School, that yeah. are underly. Uh, Unsustainable. That this just doesn't work very well. That for a lot what of people, you literally a, cannot take them just off the whatever they were doing before if they didn't have the prerequisites. Put them through a nine-month program. And I thought then they made people hit a certain prerequisites.
1: I don't think they let everybody in. Right? They do require some prerequisites.
0: Whatever thought, they're requiring, they're, it may not be enough. The outcomes aren't there. Yeah. Uh, I, I, what do, do you think? The outcome is? This is not my information to share. Yeah. So I'll, I'll let the sort of yeah. journalistic rigor of reporting All right, roll through. Let, let's Over do a scenario here.
1: Okay, let's yeah. <laughs> Somebody's going to pull um So here, let's do a um, let's do a, a thought experiment. If a hundred people went through and paid the median twenty five k of twenty k forward with thirty uh, no, k no one
0: pays the twenty. By the way, no one pays the twenty. I know I one think the rate who did. is literally zero. Yeah,
1: I know somebody who did actually. They made the calculation. Oh, okay. Zero point one percent. It's yes. probably a low number because why would you take the risk up front? Right. The whole uh, hook
0: is is with yeah. the thirty, but
1: it's only ten thousand more. So. Thirty thousand over the course of, you know, whatever. Let's call it a seventy-five thousand dollars entry-level JavaScript position might be. But anyway, putting that aside, of a hundred people, what do you think the number is that have to get a job in tech, you know, in the in tech scale to make it worth having this program? What do you think is the acceptable rate?
0: Well, the funny thing is, is you can just do the math, right? So let's say you take in or you take a a bond out on someone for thirty grand. What does it cost you to provide the education, and then you go like, let's say it cost five grand to provide that education. You just needed one out of six to essentially go through and then you would be break even if, I mean, all things being equal, you're not considering acquisition costs and so on. This basically means that you can set up a system where you just expect that – uh, two out of six right now you're at a profit that yeah, four one out, out, of three, out of six people yeah. they're going to yeah. fail right you, you're going to give you don't know which one is going to fail it's almost like vc economics where you're like hey yeah. i just need one one hit out of ten then i'm golden and fuck the other nine right it's one out of like, i just need i just need two land, students yeah. out of the six then i'm golden fuck the other four and then you read some of these stories about who the other four were how they were sold on the program, how they got enrolled mm-hmm. in it, what they had to give up in life, and so on. And you go like, you know what? Just go and fuck the other four. That's a really Are they hard selling
1: them? You think they're hard selling them? Oh, the,
0: absolutely. The, like the whole pitch. Yeah. The whole pitch is like, hey, you're working some entry-level job somewhere making what, $32,000 a year. Yeah. Here's your golden new opportunity in the off-worlds jump <laughs> on this or on a ship and we're going to yeah. take you to a 75K a year job. All you have to do is go through a nine-month program. We're going to, you're good. You're golden. Yeah. Which is just not true. And I think that that's, it, it is predatory. Um, and well, I, think I mean, it's, we'll it's a bad know model. if it's predatory. predatory let's get to, the, let's get to the root though. Let's get to yeah. the root, which was you labeled the root. This is a bandage. Do you know how yeah. many people who would sign up for 30 grand of debt for a nine-month program in Europe? I'll give you a hint. It's zero.
1: Yeah. Because they just could go for free.
0: Yeah. They can just go... And whether they could go to university or not, I mean, there are other... You could say like, well, I don't have four years or three years as a bachelor's program taken in a lot of European countries. I don't have three years to go through. The, totally fair, right? It's just on the broad scale, what if they, people uh, in Europe are not signing up for a 30 grand debt for a nine-month program.
1: What do you think if they charged $5,000 and then got... You know, whatever twenty five k over five years. If you got a job, but if you didn't, no problem. You're you're, you're I, not I on think, the hook. I, I think once you, you lower you cool the with economics
0: that? to such a level where it's not existential, it's completely different. And I think yeah. it would. Uh, I'd like those models a lot better. And there are actually a bunch of somebody's doing a free one, right? There's on a
1: there's a free code. Yeah, school. There's, there's.
0: Yep, yep. I think which that might is be called free right? code like, school. This is if you're going to do a bandage on the failures of capitalism, do the bandage as charity. I have the utmost respect for the people who try to soften the blow of American capitalism through charity, especially the kind of charity that's not just writing a big check for a tax write-off, but the kind of charity that is personal investment of their time, their empathy into real people. That stuff, I I lay down on my knee and I bow down in admiration and respect. I think that's a great way of going. And then there are other schools that are commercial, but commercial on a completely different level. Some guy was just wrote me last week talking about this school that's like two hundred bucks a month. It, it's this. Oh, I have that's great! No sense of vetting this, but that, that's still—I mean, twenty-five hundred bucks a, uh, a year, and I think they said the the whole program took about eighteen months or something. So that's roughly in this. It's like playing a phone bill,
1: you know, or your cable bill, or something like your phone and cable bill. It's like two yeah, of your I mean, bills.
0: C- clearly, let's let's not sort of undermine Super the purpose. Easy. We were just talking about precarious yeah. gig workers. A lot of them yeah. don't have two hundred bucks extra a month to to spend on education. But regardless,
1: uh,
0: there's so a you're huge saying poor people can't. Put together
1: fifteen hours to increase their future. So this is where I find yourself a little condescending in that regard. I think even poor people could re- put the money together and aspire to take one of those courses.
0: Dude, what what is it like? <laughs> three or, or two thirds of the American people don't have like four hundred dollars for an unexpected. I think bill? that yeah, they debunk uh, that. that. They debunked that headline a bit. Yeah,
1: they, the way they ask that, I think, is a little debunked. They they could, they might have but to still, ask I, one of their I'm friends. I'm just saying for it. That yes. like, the point hey, is, people we, in our country love to have debt. We, I mean, we have a debt-driven society. I, I think that, oh, they do. Even, but even affluent they, people, middle-class people take debt when they don't need it. I mean,
0: Right, because nothing happened on the general sort of wealth or, or income scale from 1980 forward mm. while education, healthcare, and housing just skyrocketed. So the All reason right. people take on a whole lot of debt is that the expectations of living standards that they were mm. seeing growing up, they're just not true anymore. Like for for most people, since 1980 forward, they had no progression in real income, and they had astronomical rise in expenses on just the three basics of housing, education, and healthcare. So yeah, I mean that statistics crazy. And if you look at it, those three are the ones
1: that have the most regulation and/or are being run by our dysfunctional government. The things that actually have the (laughs) no, no. I mean, again, we we just went over this territory. Tons of regulations. I mean. How much they, they regulation do, is there in education? You can't start a school and give an accreditation. You have to go through this like 20-year process to get accredited as a college, right? I mean, there's a lot of regulation in housing as well, building any kind of new housing, right. but, doing but anything that, But that's, in that's, that's not the
0: differential here. The, the, the differential is, again, when you compare about getting to Denmark, do you think there's a lot of regulation about state-run schools or hospitals in Denmark? I can tell you, yes, there is. But it is a dysfunctional setup when you try to do state – Regulation around uh, yeah. sort of this Plus market capitalism. economy in healthcare yeah. and like right just strap no, it up. breaks.
1: We're in agreement on that. I mean, when you when you have the government setting a bunch of rules paid for by the people who are lobbying them, who are the benefactors, it's bonkers, right? Like, how does it ever work? So you founded Basecamp back in two thousand five. Was it two thousand four? One
0: uh that? We launched in two thousand four. 2004 start building in 2003 yeah
1: uh the, the great web 2.0 era that we both lived through I yes, was doing web yes. logs at that time blogging became a thing that's when we first uh became aware of each other and podcasting shortly after when people didn't have iphones yet they had ipods and we would put podcasts on an actual ipod which was a music player for those people listening at some point you you did raise money i think six million five or six million no, or something no. what did you we, wind we up raising? Raised Okay. What
0: we did was we sold a minority stake of the business to Jeff Bezos personally, and Jeff paid Jason and I outright. We never needed any money to oh. run the company, so we were. Never how did that go down? Venture capital? How did that work? How, how did you wind up being Bezos Expeditions?
1: How, how did you wind up? Because I had met with him during that time; he was interested in investing in Weblogs Inc., uh, and I met with him. He so he was doing like almost angel investing or dipping yep, his toe back yep. then. When I think he just Amazon, thought that was.
0: F- that was fun. This was 2005 was fun for, for us. Yeah. And and he, um, someone from his team just reached out and said, like, hey, we've been looking at the stuff you've been doing. Uh, are you interested in having a conversation about this? And our first instinct was the same instinct as we've had. I think at that time, the count was like 42 VCs or funds had come to us and said, like, mm. hey, are you interested hey. in embracing Series A funding? And we were like, hey, no, please go away. Um, because we weren't, we had a profitable business, and we were happy just growing that. And we had no interest in it. So, Bezos comes along or Bezos Expeditions team comes along and says like hey it's interesting and we just said like well we're not interested and he said well, we'll have a conversation we had the conversation and we quickly realized that like this is a hobby <laughs> like yeah. Bezos is having fun with his yeah. at that time large fortune which was like 150th the fortune he has today Right, yeah. like, large fortune having fun investing because he, he sort of it's a way to I guess meet people interesting people you get to yeah. sort of intellectual curiosity and, and for stuff. Sure. you get a um, to, to support ideas that are interesting and so on so we, we have the conversation when we went like hey and then I think we threw out this ridiculous number right on the valuations <laughs> which is funny because I, I rail about valuations in general and our yeah. valuation was absolutely ridiculous right we we basically gave him a go away valuation for the right. company and he said um, more or less how much can I buy and we went like heck I mean didn't <laughs> you see the numbers um, right like they don't make sense and it's funny because his team he had this whole team at the time I think he probably still does, and yeah. they said like, "Hey, uh, this doesn't make any sense." Like, they're proposing a nonsense deal, and like, we knew it was nonsense. Like, our 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 pitch to him, it was just one page, and I think it had like four numbers on it, and like the main number that matters was what we were asking for in the valuation, and it was basically like a fuck you valuation, right? It was what, like what times uh, revenue was it at
1: the time? A hundred times revenue?
0: Fifty oh, times revenue? Uh, it was dumb. I, yeah. I forget what the specific one. It was dumb and it was indeed based on revenue and the revenue number was really small and so on. But anyway, he comes back to us and say, like, how much can I buy? And we went like, oh shit. I mean, we kind of didn't expect you to <laughs> to to be interested yeah. in this nonsense deal. And we then had to talk him down from essentially wanting to buy, I guess, a, a VC size steak. 20, to 30%. Just enough. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. To to just enough where Jason and I could go like, "Do you know what? If this whole thing blew up. Um, because this was still realistic. Like, the whole reason yeah. the valuation was nonsense was because this was a very nascent business that had very little revenue in the grand scheme of things. So it could totally go out of business. Like, most things go out of business. Sure. But if we got just a little bit off the table, I wouldn't have to worry about, like, hey, the groceries. I wouldn't have to drive an Uber if right. this failed. Idiot
1: insurance. Right? and Foundational and, and money. This
0: was, this was, to me, this was really that financial clearing point that was like ninety-nine percent of the value of of sort of chasing money was just getting to the point where do you know what I can live a comfortable middle class life and not have to worry about expenses. This
1: wheels. is such an important insight, I think, that if you're a if you grew up blue collar, you get inherently, but some other people I think don't understand because maybe they grew up middle class and, you know, they drove a BMW but wanted a Mercedes or something, or their parents were aspirational. I explain this to people. Once you get past a certain amount, and I think they said seventy thousand a year in the United States, which you know probably doesn't include San Francisco and New York and L.A., but there's a certain point at which you're not really thinking about food or shelter anymore on the Maslow hierarchy, and you're good. And I try to explain this: to people live well below your means, and you will be happy. And Naval also talks about this, and he hit the Uber home run and a couple of other ones, and he also had an early exit once you start trying to chase lifestyle it never works because now you're having the stress of running out of money and i explain to people all the time if you i elon and jeff bezos and putin the richest man in the world all sat and had a hamburger the hamburger tastes the same and there's literally like a diminishing return on hamburgers like the best hamburger might be fourteen dollars (laughs) like somewhere in this country that's it. And nobody can get a better hamburger after that. People have tried. They make $50 hamburgers. Yeah, this is Doesn't this taste is the better. Warhol
0: argument, right? Like that yeah. a Coke tastes the same for a billionaire or for a bum. Oh, did um, he have
1: that as a theory? I like that.
0: Yeah, he he, he did that uh, argument around the uh, Coke. That a yeah. that a Coke is is sort of um uh, tastes the same. And and yeah. absolutely this is uh, one of those things that I at least treasure from that experience growing up uh, working class in Denmark at the time was just what a wonderful life, what wonderful life you have when you, you're not on that treadmill and when you mm. have the basics taken care of to the point like I'm not worried about shelter, I'm not worrying about healthcare, I'm not worrying about uh, food. Like you, You're free to pursue all the other wonders of, of life. And I think so about Bezos. This all the time because like now, right? Not then, but now, like I have all the money in the world. Like I don't even fucking know what to spend my money on, right? Right. There, there, how, sort of what is the footprint could, of Basecamp, by the way? How many employees do you have now? We have fifty-six. Fifty-six. But but my my point was that, yeah. like, do you know what? My favorite thing is not to fucking spend money. My favorite thing yes. is to like program. That's one of the things uh, I like the most. I like to do it a, a ton. I'd like to do it so much that I do it to an irrational degree for someone who's a CTO of a fifty-six person company. Like I probably shouldn't be programming as much as I do, but you know what? I can and I want to. So fuck that. I'm going to do that. Or reading i mean this is one of these other things like i think about like how do i spend the slices of my time and where do i get the enjoyment out of it like reading as, as one of those things like th- this is a pretty broadly accessible category of inter- entertainment yeah um and it's one of the things i derive Free. the most pleasure from yeah. um and then i also of course i also do for rich people shit like driving race cars fast around in a circle um but, but I'm sort of far, off, far along enough on that trajectory. I'm like, do you know what? If, we, if I couldn't do the race car thing and I could just do the programming thing and I could do the reading thing, good enough, be pretty good still. All right. So Jeff Bezos
1: uh, and Bezos Expedition gave you that minimum viable lifestyle. He provided for you this incredible gift, buying shares at an extraordinary price. And for this, you barbecue him incessantly on Twitter as the richest man in the world. And I was breaking your chops about this. You and I have full contact Twitter, even though, unfortunately, as we get older, we seem to be agreeing on so much.
0: Um, Everyone becomes a socialist eventually. So I'm just dragging you along a little faster than... I know, connection. it's so
1: true. I tell you, I am am i love capitalism, even late-stage capitalism. But I just think that we've screwed up so bad on healthcare and education that objectively, if we've done this bad, we need to look at who's done it great and just fucking copy the system like literally just need to go over there and fucking photocopy because this is a shit show where people are scared of getting sick and they're not able to just get a basic education at a cheap
0: price like i'm all in for so if that's socialism i'm all in on it because and it is that that is the huge thing where i'm like hey i'm on twitter advocating for what's being called socialism i'm like these reforms are so mild. They're so sensible. Yeah. They're even uh, economical when you look at as the GDP discussions we have. Right, that's the best part about I, it. Is it, this it is, makes business this is sense. Not even Yes, this, it is makes not, this doesn't sense. have to be about ideology and sort of the clash of ideology, yeah. socialism versus capitalism. Hey, I built my business on, on capitalism free market. It works great for web software. I don't want the state to run web software. I want to, to be some regulations, yeah. especially around privacy and monopolies and so on and so forth. But like the free market is good. No one is saying the free yeah. market isn't good. Western Europe has the free market. Denmark has the free market. Yeah. Finland has the free market. You just go, hey, there's a couple of areas here where this doesn't work that great. It doesn't work great for healthcare. It doesn't work great for education. Let's just not do it there. And then, hey, we can do it all the rest of the places. See, one of the problems with the breakdown and the discussion is
1: the word socialism is very triggering. And being anti-capitalist is also very triggering. So I'm very triggered when people want to take away capitalism. But when you look at socialism-
0: No one does. I mean, there's uh, a fringe group that wants to do anarchy and- but Bernie I think is, is the mild. Billionaires. This is what gets me about Bernie. Bernie in Denmark, he would be a middle-of-the-road potatoes centrist. Really? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And th- this is the thing about having lived what in multiple a... societies. I lived 25 what is years the in radical... Denmark. I lived... What does a radical He's... in Denmark look like? <laughs> if Bernie's yeah, center, radical... what's left of him? Radical how? Oh, like... there, there's a ton of radical stuff that just goes with like... Uh, the funny thing is, a lot of the stuff that gets called most radical, it's basically like the U.S. 1950. Do you know what the top tax rates were in the 1950s in the 70. U.S.? The U.S. invented the income tax. Yeah, 70%, the U.S. was actually yeah. incredibly progressive on taxation for a very long period of time, all the way up yeah. until basically Reagan, yeah. 1980s. Yeah. Um, all the radicalism that people are freaking the fuck out over now, you're just like, hey, that's American history like 60 years ago. Yeah, it's not exactly like it's from a foreign so on a taxation uh, uh, basis. There are
1: people who want to go all the way up to 70 percent in Denmark.
0: Oh, it it was sixty seven percent up until a couple <laughs> years before I moved, and now it's wow. a, down around fifty two. Which do you want to know the irony here? The irony yeah, is that in California, my effective tax rate is virtually the same as Denmark.
1: It is forty nine percent or something. Yeah, it's it's brutal. Uh, fifty
0: two. So yeah, you, you paid the thirteen percent on income tax in california and then you do yeah. the 37 on the federal side like and you're at 50 and in denmark i think it's like 52 percent.
1: right thank god for capital gains Just sell it, shares in your company never take a salary uh,
0: it, exactly that's how most people beat it right and and jason and i we're the idiots we just only take salaries we never take capital gains so we pay full full boat and this is actually why people have to well f- no you p- could pay yourself forzide.
1: you could pay yourself with a
0: uh, dividend yeah, yeah i'm, I'm No dividends gets taxed as income. You you need uh, capital gains. And do you you know what the thing is? I'm not interested. I'm happy paying fifty percent. Fifty percent is a good number. I think fifty percent as a general rate for for people it feels about right. My favorite
1: Um, slash worst thing about the Scandinavian countries is that they have tied speeding tickets, which is close to your heart, I think, as well as mine, to your income. You would be so fucked, wouldn't you? Is it Finland who's giving people like a, somebody got a $100,000 ticket, like a NHL player. All these hockey players are buying Maseratis. They get dinged. Right. And then they get a percentage of their salary past year. So somebody got a $100,000 ticket.
0: Someone in Switzerland, I knew of this story because I I talked to someone at the factory, in their Lamborghini. Got a he he first got a one hundred fifty thousand dollar ticket. Then he appealed it. And then he got a two hundred thousand dollar pe- ticket. And then he appealed it all the way to the Swiss Supreme Court or whatever. Three hundred thousand dollar ticket. I thought really they, man, they just kept wonderful. increasing it to teach him a lesson. They just kept increasing it. And uh, do you know what? I think it's that's great. Like if you want real deterrence for something oh, like yeah. that, it has to be proportionate. This is why progressive <laughs> taxation is a good thing. Progressive fines, I think, is a wonderful thing. This is why I think this sort is of bail go, reform is so important. Sure. No yeah. one, no one rich gives a shit about bail right like they can all put up their whatever they have and then you're a poor person and you bail is set as two grand and you end up spending like four years in rikers for a thing you didn't even ridiculous
1: yeah they they did that bail reform i think but so uh, when's the last time you talked to bezos i'm curious and then does he like ever dm you and be like bruh i provided (laughs) you the minimum viable lifestyle you're breaking my chops and i'm like your number one target on twitter
0: I think it's probably about 10 years since we spoke to uh, Bezos last. Okay. I mean, as I said, when when he bought the minority stake, uh, Amazon was one-fiftieth the size of what it is now. It had one-fiftieth the number of employees. Mm. And it's funny how all these numbers lined up. I looked them up recently. Bezos was literally worth one-fiftieth of what he is now. So it was it's large brilliant. even then. Like, this is yeah. 2005, right? Like Amazon yeah. was a juggernaut in 2005, right. but it wasn't this all-consuming Monopoly player that mm. it is today that's sort of devouring things. Wait, out how is it right? a monopoly it,
1: player if it's got like low single digits of commerce?
0: Well, this is all about how you slice the pie. We just released okay. the book as, as you pitched. It doesn't have to be crazy at work. Guess what the uh, <laughs> slice of all sales in the US that Amazon have for that across all mediums? Of your book? <laughs> of, of, books, of our book? I'm going to say 70%. 90%. Wow, yeah. ninety. And I know for me, it was ninety percent the first week. Yeah, and this was not an aberration. We talked to the publisher about this, and they're like, "Yeah, it's pretty common. Like ninety percent. Like basically, Amazon is the only bookseller on books, that matters sure. left in the world. Everything else is just the well, niche. especially
1: since they bought Audible. And how many yes. of your you are you majority Audible on your sales now? Because I am
0: like my uh, uh, my I, audio no, book outranks but book? It's a large slice. And do you, and you read those the platforms?
1: Book? What you didn't read the book, right?
0: No, I didn't. We we had, to, I mean, I don't yeah, like my I, own voice. Uh, you have to read the uh, next
1: I, one. I'm yeah, telling maybe,
0: you. Maybe we, but we, we had a lovely reader. I love uh, uh, audiobooks and I think it's great. But do you know what? When it comes to audiobooks, Amazon's dominance is even higher. I think for us it no, was 95% or maybe yeah. 98%. Yeah, for sure, Audible is just like the entirety of the business. Which, which uh, again, like so books, books is an industry, right? We can declare a monopolist within books. Amazon is without a doubt a yes, monopolist within yes. books. But overall commerce, no. Yeah. That's Far a more nuanced it. discussion. I'm, yeah. I'm happy to have at All some right. point.
1: So what <clears throat> is your main beef with him? That he doesn't pay taxes? That I, he I don't really have... I, I mi- mistreats we're, we're the employees? We're making personal, and it's well, not
0: personal. Well, because you
1: say his name in the tweets it is personal well, but I, I call right? shit
0: out when when i see things that are relevant okay. to 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 jeff like he's the richest man in the world i don't know if he currently is or i mean, I mean aside from putin whose we wealth do. is undisclosed he is yes <laughs> okay. in terms of right. disclosed wealth yes <laughs> right and and if, probably even double. if you are sort of competing with putin on wealth like you deserve some scrutiny here right like yeah, not like, the best place um, to be yeah Optimum. Sort of our our oligarchs to to undergo some some scrutiny, and that's what I'm basically saying. And that's where I, I've been disappointed in both Jeff and in Amazon in the decisions that they've made. I thought the HQ2 debacle was just Ugh. an insult, an other insult to municipalities. Yeah. Why, like you're making a mockery of of America? It's making a mockery of not what, uh, what can America do for you? What can you do for America? And this there was a recent story to come out where one of apparently one of the um, springboards for this of trying to shake down municipalities for, for tax uh, benefits was that uh, Elon Musk had gotten, I think 1.4 billion from Nevada or something for building, yeah, building gigafactory. a factory And yeah. basically went like, shit, how is Elon getting $1.4 billion in tax? But we should be getting more. And you're like, is this what we want our billionaires to compete on? Who can rip off local governments the it's most? Such a bad look Fuck at this down. time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't mind different cities competing to try to get business. Oh, I do but don't. for the richest Absolutely. I, I don't mind it. I, I think if cities if there's a city that really wants the jobs and they want to incentivize it's somebody a race to build to a the factory. The bottom. There, ah, there's only so many companies that are gonna do these and there's only so many cities that will participate. New York decided not to participate and they won anyway. So and I think what for a the victories
0: what a victory. You go like maybe, AOC and maybe. the gang up there, they were just um, sort of excruciated for, for the fact that like they were in a position and then it turns out oh shit Amazon's just going to do it anyway. wow. they're going to move into Hudson Yards and bring what was it 20,000 jobs or something they're still
1: yeah. not going to bring and, as many but yeah but no the thing but that they was called stupid the game, about it is, or they
0: came, called the bluff
1: they did call the bluff I think the, the real problem is that I had with the HQ the huge thing is it, it was a lot of work and false hope for a large number of cities if yes. they said we're considering these 10 cities and you know here's what we're looking for uh give us your best offer but they made it such an ongoing long thing with so many cities participating that making it open to everybody just led to all this false hope and I said on CNBC at the time, because they had me picking which cities, I was like, listen, I would love to see a city that needs it, like Pittsburgh or Detroit, or some city that law, Michigan, somebody who, you know, a, a city or a state where they, they need the jobs and they need this and it would be a great bridge. That's what I would like to see win it. And of course- And imagine if they'd done that. If it would be Bezos amazing. If
0: Bezos gone in and said, do you know what? Fuck Detroit, all this trying to, to, to get billions out of the municipalities. We're going to pick Pittsburgh. Because yeah. you know what? Pittsburgh needs this. We're going to do it. We right. would all have started like, holy shit, that's High amazing. Fives. I would probably have, have shut up a little bit about my billionaires wrecking everything if like, that was a legitimate, honest, authentic investment into America where you're just like, we're going to do what's good for the country here. And why shouldn't they? Amazon is also a trillion-dollar company, On depending on which day you check the stock price, right? Yeah. Can't we ask a little bit of decency like that this from trillion-dollar companies, from the world's the clue- richest man?
1: The cluelessness of, I think, Bezos in this regard, I think it's really clueless of him to not be um, self-aware enough to know that when you are the richest person, you do need to take steps. And he did tweet at some point, I don't know if you remember this, like, how how do I give money away? And I was like, you built a trillion dollar company, so you know how to build a trillion dollars in value and whatever they're selling every year, tens of billions of stuff. Like, I think you'll figure it out, kid. Like, there's a lot of ways to give money away. <laughs> like. Just give it to Bill Gates. He seems to know exactly how to lower poverty and mortality rates. Well, let let, let me give you an even better example.
0: Just pay your workers. Like, if, if Amazon if had yeah. better working conditions, including for people who work in the warehouses, that's a great way of giving back. Just pick a city like Pittsburgh and don't ask them to give you $4 billion. Like, yeah. there are great ways to run so a more done. ethical business where you're not sort of just trying to hoard all the money. And then at the end of the day, before you sort of, you get your midlife crisis, and then you're trying to figure out how to spend it all. No, just not be such a hoarder in the first place. We're all going to be better mm. off if there was a little bit more slack in the system. And I think there's just such a obsession pathology in a lot of American business that is like, we're going to squeeze everything to the last cent. And I don't care who we're going to exploit. We're going to get there. And oh, shit, it's the end of the day. Can I buy an art wing somewhere? Can I do an endowment for some university? Yeah. well, actually... I- <laughs> you know what? Philanthropy does not make up for dysfunction.
1: Well philanthropy does make up for a lot and as we're sitting here breaking news amazon jeff bezos has just dedicated 10 billion dollars to fight global warming so that's 10% of his net worth or maybe now that he's divorced it might be more it might be 15% so i think after he bought that 100 or 200 million dollar house in la maybe he felt like i need to announce something to take the edge off the 150 yes. million dollar house purchase
0: well, well, and first of all, also a lot of this is you. you go to uh, philanthropy, and uh, "Winners Take All" is, is a great book. Anand, uh, Anand, wrote on I read this. it. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to get him on the pod. Yes, w- which is essentially like, hey, you trying to put, as you said, the bandage on a capitalist system run amuck after the fact? Like, uh, how much is the global impact on climate changing that Amazon themselves have brought? Like I, I heard a stat. Good question. In mm-hmm. New York City, there's 1.5 million packages every day being driven by diesel trucks around for delivery. And you go like, do you know what percentage of that do you think is Amazon? I think Amazon probably has a shocking percent. Whenever they take a, a a photo of some of these uh, people sorting the mail on the street in yeah, New York 80%, city,
1: percent, you're like, it's 80%, it's yeah. 80%. Ex- Exactly. Amazon right? boxes, So,
0: so Bezos going out and saying, like, I'm going to de- dedicate $20 billion to climate change. That's great, right? But how much damage have you cost? There's probably well, a and fair chance that that damage has been more than $10 billion.
1: I think the thing that would be great on a leadership basis is they're doing simplified packing in some cases. They just need to make that the rule. So, I've started carrying, like, my Contigo like cup and trying to, like, reduce my paper cup usage, you know, of coffee, like, by half at least. You know, Bezos has the wherewithal to just say to people, listen, you cannot wrap your shit in like five layers of plastic for us to layer it in two more layers of plastic. If you want to do toothpaste, you want to just, it's got to just be like in Europe where they do less packaging in a lot of the supermarkets and make it top down. You cannot do unnecessary packaging anymore. If you want to sell through Amazon, you've got two years to get your act together. We're going to, you know, do this over some period of time. And that would be amazing. And then why not just have all the cars be electric when you're doing the deliveries? Just buy all electric cars. And deliver them there.
0: Yep. There's it would definitely be such a, a great bunch statement. Things you, you you can do, but then I, I think what's also funny is like so on the one hand you get this commitment to the ten billion dollars in climate change. Wonderful, really, truly is. Yes. But <sighs> amazing. Then they also go to like one day shipping or, or a, in New York um, where you can get anything in like two hours. Like what is the cost of someone delivering a like package of toothpaste? in two hours yeah. like just all the logistical yeah. machinery that has to to do to that what is the footprint of that you know do you know what maybe yeah. we just shouldn't be able to get shit in two hours like all these conveniences <laughs> that, that you know we've what? been You're so happy my about the same, right thing, with the Uber. My, the my same thing with the Uber my house looks right?
1: like a depot no let's go use yeah. an Uber here like, this, uh, this Uber is, you mm, definitely it, want to get an Uber in a minute this, this isn't great, right? Like the, the fact <laughs> it's that fantastic. Uber has is not great. It's fantastic.
0: <laughs> it, it, it is on a very individualized level. Yes. Like the the level of sort of material comfort that you can now live as a moderately bonkers. rich person in the U.S. is outrageous, right? It's bonkers. Like kings of old would have just looked upon what we have. Any, food in, an yeah. Any right. food in half an hour? Yeah. Any food
1: in half an hour? Yeah. It, and it, it's product. crazy. We, we just we
0: spent we spent the 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 holidays in New York, and I was just I was shocked, and and it's very hard to resist this on an individual level, and also in uh, resisting on the individual level doesn't solve these structural issues. So yeah. we need structural changes, and I think one of the structural changes we need is that like you know we don't need that many billionaires, and they don't need to be that rich. So if we can sort of institute a progressive tax regime where the richest 400 families in the US don't actually pay the lowest effective tax rate in the US. Yeah, so dumb. That's progress. I'm yeah. a big fan of the wealth tax too. I'm oh, a big fan the of the estate tax. tax. I'm a bit The wealth fa- tax is fan a disaster. Taxes Everybody
1: who's done the wealth tax has regretted it and and gotten rid of it in no, France. Haven't.
0: No they haven't. They failed to enforce it. it because of structural issues in Europe. Do you know how hard all it is these to in... go
1: count all of your race cars, put a value on them every year for one and then pay it? You're going to have this to get an auditor false. to come and look at your 12 Ferraris, David, and your 14 Lamborghinis and figure out what the cost of those 27 cars are. And it's so easy. There's a No, it's not easy. Thing. Then you have to hire like a somebody to hey, go hey, listen, assess the what do you value do? of What do you them? do all
0: day? Don't you do valuations? Don't you do angel deals? Don't you put prices on shit? Yes, yeah, you we do. We put prices There's on entire industries say, okay, focused around this.
1: No, no, we just say it's 6 million, it's 8 million. Great, sounds good. Let's go. That's what we do. We don't hire like some outside person to be like, "Oh my God!"
0: No, like, but every person there was a do market. All household? you need is a market. Oh, you don't just, need a valuator. You just need a market. You need transactions, and then you can look at it. And oh. it doesn't even matter. Eighty percent of all the wealth is in publicly evaluated stocks, bonds, uh, and assets—financial assets. Financial assets. Yeah. Those financial assets—they're constantly assessed. That's what the entire public markets are around. We know exactly how much Bezos is worth because. Basically, his entire net worth well, what, is portfolio. What do you think uh, it does portfolio. to
1: people who own private companies? You have to put a value on Basecamp now every year and pay 1% of your
0: equity yes, in that? Yes, oh, And yeah, Do you know oh, how easy yeah. that is? We, we actually, because we looked into like, hey, let's just play theoretical here. Theoretically, if someone wanted to buy Bezos out of, of Basecamp, how much would they have to pay for that? You go 25 to times companies, that's, companies that specialize in this. It's not that difficult. Yeah. most of the transaction happen around the same level or you make a way to force these transactions there's a great there's a guy on uh, that helped write uh, uh, or helped do the research for Thomas Piketty's um, Capital in the 21st Century called uh, I forget what his first name is Guzman let's put it in the show notes there's a great Twitter account and he just recently made the entire case I think maybe it was in the Guardian or the New York Times about um, wealth taxes and about this exact problem with private companies first of all private companies is a vast vast minority of of this equation right so there's this one area where it's a little bit difficult perhaps and his, let's leave uh, them out <laughs> recommendation was ingenious <laughs> leave ingenious, them out i tell you don't include um, them <laughs> <laughs> no um <clears throat> that if you don't want to put a value on your business um or if, or if you don't essentially want to sell your business just uh pay your uh taxes in kind This is how taxes started. Taxes didn't used to be monetary. They used to be like, hey, you're harvesting whatever. We need like uh, five ears of corn. I don't even know if that makes any sense. But you were paying in kind, right? Like you were paying your taxes in kind. You can pay taxes on private company in such a way that you don't have to sell them in public markets. You just uh, uh, hand those over to the government. If you would rather pay an equity, and equity is valued all the time, to the government, you do that. So, if your uh, entire network is tied up into a private company, and that somehow says to be above the hundred million, hey, just give the uh, give the government one percent a year. You oh, the equity in a company. Oh my god,
1: you're yeah, talking have, crazy the right now.
0: Since you don't have to sell it. Oh god, you know it, would much, it would be so much. It would be so much easier poor if just people, people have, have people to sell, to sell it the it shit it. they own all the time to pay their bills. This is Oof. not weird no, i've been there right the, the, well, fact no, the people better have to thing pe- would be to just sell have to pay the minimum
1: tax it would be so much easier if just people paid a minimum tax like i think that would be an easier one to sell i'm just thinking about the american capitalistic bought and sold government system just a minimum where whatever you made you have to pay a minimum of 20 percent even as a crazy rich person with deductions like no matter what the deductions are there is a base level of tax that's the problem here is that everybody's Figured out all these loopholes. This is why the flat tax was such a brilliant movement as well. Just like, let's stop having every possible loophole. Then people rack up losses. Then Trump's like, oh, you know what? If you buy a plane, you can depreciate the whole thing. And yeah. literally the entire I discussion it. I hear amongst rich people now is the depreciation of a plane in one year. And how amazing this is that Trump did this. Because you can sell your stock in Amazon, buy the plane, and you're basically... Not exactly getting it for free, but the depreciation gets counted against that those gains that year. It's bonkers, or some large amount of forward-looking it's depreciation. It's not bonkers.
0: It's, it's obscene. And this is why yeah, people are sharpening yeah. the guillotines. And I think I know. rich Ugh, people, we pushed and it I too put far. myself in that group clearly, pushed it too far. we're going to thoroughly regret that we took so much and left so little. And I'm I in agreement. Actually, short term, yeah. like as you say, it's even better for the economy if there's a broad base of consumers who are yeah. um, not poor, right? This Absolutely. idea of a broad middle class, um, better based for everybody, on, on sort of just working normal jobs is a good thing. Like we need to bring that back, and some of bringing that back is not just win-win. Some of it is that rich people give up more, and you know what? Yeah. Again, I already pay the fifty percent, right? Because we're so stupid not to play all these games and not funnel all our money through capital gains, which, by the way, I think should also be abolished. The capital, capital gains mm, loophole an is for... just obscene. And it's already abolished in California, right? Like your, your 13% state tax does not recognize capital gains in some special category. Uh, let's just do that at a federal level. There's all these things we've got to do because get back to the fundamentals. The fundamental is the U.S. collects about 17% of GDP in taxes. That is one third of what a country like France or Denmark does. If we want broad social systems where the government pays for healthcare and education and so forth, um, the the federal government needs more money. Right. Or and they like, need to custom is it that's the thing I get back to all the time with, with, with Bezos in particular, right? Is he gonna notice if he has to pay like, I don't know, a couple of billion a year? The, no. The man is worth what hundred twenty billion. I forget what like the latest count yeah, is. hundred. Uh, you're not gonna even going to notice. This is this is the the joke of base or of uh, Gates. So Gates have committed very valiantly to donate 60, the majority of his right, his yeah. um, all of it, funds yeah. to charity. Yeah, all of it over time. Do you know what's growing every year? His network base, or, or Gates' network, right? Yeah, he can't, fucking, he can't
1: give it away fast enough.
0: Well, he can't. He's not right, and, well, and no, he's earning more. Well, I mean, reasonably, more. you want the to rank, give it a,
1: Yeah, you want to give it away in a charitable fashion. He gave away sixty billion already in like whatever fifteen years. I mean, he's giving it away fast, but it's still not fast enough.
0: It is pretty it, is inspiring. Is that not the most damning uh, sort of charge against capitalism? That like no, the dude no, who just literally wants to give away, can't it, give it away fast enough because he's making so much fucking money and not paying taxes on it.
1: Well, no. I mean, I think it just speaks to Microsoft being such an amazingly really resilient company that keeps growing. And that gets us to the monopoly discussion. Which companies right. should be broken up in order? Rank them and why? Worst behaved tech uh, companies and why? Which one should be broken up first? Who's had the most negative impact on humanity? Number one? I, I mean, is-
0: I I, re- I yeah, I. <laughs> It's almost like you're doing my talking points for Facebook here, but I- I'm big on breaking Facebook up. I think the uh, two acquisitions they were stupidly allowed to, to make in Instagram and-, and WhatsApp prevented real competition in, Agreed. Uh, in in social media and in social networks, and absolutely, they should be broken up. And that that's just one remedy, though. I think we should break up uh, Facebook. I think we should break up Google. I think we should break up Amazon. Um, I think there's probably also a case for breaking up uh, Apple, but I think... This this core idea that we're allowing tech conglomerates, that they can have one area where they're really dominant and then they can use that dominance in that one monopoly area, like Google is doing with search engines, to capture monopolies in other areas, either through acquisitions or conquest, is just bunk. Like all of antitrust law and practice was sort of focused around this, right? That we didn't want the big trusts that just owned everything. I've been reading Matt Stoller's Goliath book. That details how the trustbusters in the in the twenties and thirties uh, took on J.P. Morgan and took on Standard Oil and all these other things, and you're like, Jesus, yeah. Why can't we have some of that? Why can't we have a president who's sort of just out there decrying the fact of monopolies, uh, monopolist capitalism? Well, yeah, the problem was the economy.
1: You, the, the def- Although, we, how you define it is the issue because they defined it as like, are the users. <laughs> Suffering yes. and the users were suffering. And when you look at Android or YouTube or Chrome or Gmail and all these free services, tremendous like you're pointing suffering,
0: out, tremendous suffering they're being through given the away exploitation of privacy, right? So, targeted advertisement, I think, is one of the worst evils yeah. ever been inflicted on the internet. And it's what's given rise to Facebook and Google. So, we need to attack targeted advertisement head on. My preferred solution is simply to ban it that you cannot show advertisement based on. Uh, of, don't data. you
1: like targeted ads? don't you like seeing an ad that's better? I mean, you probably like no ads, but if you did see an ad, would you like one that's better?
0: no targeted? no. this no. whole idea that relevant ads are a bonus to people is is a complete manufactured talking point by the ad tech industry like I like
1: seeing targeted ads better but you just know what anecdotal. but then
0: but then you think through it and you don't like when when I talk to <laughs> um um, sort of take the example of someone who just became pregnant. This is an example that's been recounted over and over again because it happens all the time. Let's say they go down to buy a pregnancy test at CVS. That sales that gets sold to a data broker. That data broker sells it on to either Facebook or Google or, or someone else. And all of a sudden, before you've even told... Maybe your spouse or oh, your yeah. family. Oh, no, happening if you're pregnant, all over the house. You start getting ads for essentially like, hey, here's a baby stroller. Here's uh, what to do. Uh, and it happens could be based for, on like, your hey, IP you sure address. You want to keep at it? Your... Here's an adoption yeah. agency. Um, <laughs> uh, actually, you should get an abortion. Like,
1: Yeah, no. but you know the punchline is it happens to every computer in the house because they're using your IP address for your right, router. Right, right. So like every now and then I'm like, why am I seeing bikinis and bathing suits and then I like walk by my wife's computer and she's well, that, buying you know swimsuits and I'm like your oh habits, and I'm me. like this is not my browsing <laughs> habits I didn't search for this but I, I <laughs> no, see the no, brands no. I, yes. I recognize the brand she buys and then she sees the brands right, I right. buy
0: which is hilarious shit. yeah it's I, shit I, it, it, it's I not good Facebook and do you know what I think one of the reasons actor. it's really so not good is yeah. because these companies like Facebook and Google they have found that this is the golden opportunity to turn shit Content into gold. Content no longer matters in sort of any sense of abstract idea of quality. The only thing that matters is engagement. So if you mm-hmm. can find the most outraging content, that's going to be the most engaging content, Uh, the most aversive content, that's the one that performs best for ads because it just doesn't matter what the content is. It just just matters whether you keep the eyeballs fixed. Then you can show them ads based on the personal data, not on the content, which you were someone who made content, right? Like Weblogs Inc. and so on. Wouldn't you want that, like, say, an Engadget could command a premium because they had, like, tech... Uh. Stuff, it was the reason why I'm not. Based on that?
1: Yeah. The reason I'm not in the content business anymore, to be honest, is because it's it too hard destroyed. to do. It's too hard yes. to do because then we had people who were targeting Engadget. And so somebody would run an ad on Engadget, like a small ad buy. They would cookie everybody. Then they would sell that information to somebody else and say, would you like yes, to buy Engadget users? Yes. And, and now they've like,
0: stolen your entire audience. They stole the audience.
1: And so Nick Denton and I, when he was doing Gawker, we were like, are you letting this other third party on? And they're like, he's like, yeah, they're sending us like a check for 3000 a month. I was like, I think they're selling Gizmodo and Engadget yes,
0: yes. Right.
1: on the side to Samsung. And Samsung was buying direct right. from us. So they're no longer buying direct. And he was like, oh, yeah. Should we kick them out? And we basically colluded to kick them out. We clicked out all
0: the ad networks because we're like,
1: this is screwing up direct
0: sales. So and what badly. if you didn't need a cartel to do protection? What if you had basic yeah. regulations that simply said you cannot do targeted ads? The value of say an gadget would go through the roof. Like tech journalism is one of the most profitable ones because like people fucking buy phones all the time and they want to read right. reviews. So yeah. this is the natural place to place these kinds of advertisement. Yeah. This used to happen. Targeted advertisement is a new phenomenon. Like we yeah. literally It's lived really the birth of it, right? Yeah.
1: It's super effective. It's too effective. Now everybody in the content business is just going to subscription. I'm going to subscription with inside.com. We have advertising. We did over a million dollars last year. I'm like, "You know what? The, yes. the advertising we have to uh, uh, concede at some point that we're not going to be able to build an at scale advertising company and yes. just Start charging people 10 bucks a month for the content.
0: And, and no one is. And it is because Google and Facebook literally took – I just did a congressional testimony on this topic in front of the House Antitrust Subcommittee. And one of the data points I pulled out as part of that research was, I think it was 2016 and 2017, yeah. 99% of all the growth in internet advertising was, was captured yeah, yeah. by two companies. Yeah. 99%. Like, yeah, it I sounds know, like they, it's not even real, but 99% yeah. was captured by Facebook of the gain, and Google. Of
1: the gain, year over year, went to them, right? Yes. And it, it yes. makes sense because if you've ever placed ads, you're like, oh my God, I can target and retarget and find exactly my audience and do these lookalike audiences through AI, and it's just so effective. And then if you don't do it, now, your competitors are doing it, so you're in an arms race. Yes. I know you took- That um, was
0: exactly my argument. My argument in front of Congress was that you're at a grave competitive disadvantage. If you do not take a uh, sort of valence of the surveillance capitalist system that no. is powering this ad engine, and that's terrible that we're handing over an entire industry, internet advertisement, to essentially two companies and a little extra- Mm. is not good. And the consequences of that are startlingly clear. There was just another newspaper, I don't know, conglomerate or, or whatever that went out of business um, or, or went into bankruptcy that, that runs the Miami Herald and M- I think McClacken, 130 McClatchen, other local newspapers. And you McClatchen. go like, do you want to trade all the local newspapers in all of America? And do you know what you get back? You get Facebook. Ugh, You're like, brutal. holy shit, what a bad trade. What a bad deal, as the president would say, right? A, a it's terrible, a terrible deal. fucking deal for the country. It's
1: terrible. Yeah, I mean, I think if you and if you look at it, it's such an easy solution. We have to just redefine what antitrust is and how it works, and then just look at the behavior of the companies. If the behavior is really bad, it makes it really easy to say, you know what? Behavior a- and is the bad. incentives, the incentives. Yeah, we, this we is we really what we need to more. focus on. Yeah.
0: Why are Facebook and Google collecting all this personal data? Because it's so valuable. Because they yeah. can sell. They it. should have a, like should the, have a the liabilities limit. involved with collecting and storing personal data would not be worth it at all if they could not monetize it in the way that they did so all these privacy scandals we keep having over and over and over again would i mean if not entirely largely disappear because it would simply be hugely unprofitable to run the risk of collecting personal data you do not have a legitimate express specified consent for um, just to what store it and the thing that really gets me is that um I think this is gonna would hurt Facebook more than anyone who, who is who's really the ones who need to hurt the most. Like if you take Google for example, Google has um has intent. When you show up yeah. on their website and you search for used cars Los Angeles, that's all the intent you need. You don't need any personal data. You don't no. need to be You've able to what filter you out like who's pregnant and who's not. There's right. enough intent in that search.
1: Yeah. I, I there's such an easy solution to all this, which I think the GDPR, you know, it's, it's, it's actually surprisingly good in how it's, it's constructed. It's fucking amazing. Have they you read actually, it? I, I, I just I read, read it again this it. morning. Yeah, no, I saw your I, tweets about it. Not the whole thing, it. but yeah, the but principles the and so on. It's so like, good. They're like, you have to write this in a way that people can understand it and make it clear. It's like, oh, wow, there's some common sense. I, I think the, there's such an easy unlock for Facebook and Google, which is you, saw, you, you log in tomorrow and they say, Right now, you get these services for free in exchange for this information. Would you like to pay us $99 a year for Google search, Gmail, and Google Docs without advertising or tracking? Facebook. Would you like to get Instagram ad free for 10 bucks a month? Would you like Facebook and Instagram ad free for 14 bucks? Would you like WhatsApp and Instagram for $19? And just sell the bundle. And what percentage do you think do it? Five, 10, 15? It would be perfect for them in terms of cover to say, look, we gave people an option, they voted. Whatever percent want to this trade and the other percent don't, and I think it would be actually great for them. It would be ultimately great for them because you would let people actually have a choice. There to, are some they,
0: proposals being cooked up in in Congress that that I'm aware of that essentially proposes that model that really? you have to give yeah. users the choice of essentially buying their privacy back. Um, the problem with that and the specific legislation I'm thinking about does have something to address it but the problem in principle with that is that you end up essentially with all the rich people not having their privacy invaded and all the people who aren't so rich they will like I'm for example I mean as we all are in this society we're hypocrites I'm a hypocrite in the sense that like I use some Google products right like I'm calling for uh, the dismantlement of, of Google as a conglomerate I want it to be broken up and you know what I also watch Videos on YouTube sometime and on YouTube they actually give you that option I pay I pay, I pay nine it. bucks what, a month what is it, red it is pro. for YouTube red
1: yeah I pay I' like the greatest thing ever
0: the yeah, greatest subscription
1: it, it, ever is youtube red I'm convinced and, of. and
0: and then sometimes I'll hit a browser window for whatever reason I wasn't logged into that red account and I see oh. what YouTube is like with the ads brutal. and I go like holy shit, I fear for humanity.
1: It's every other ad. I had to buy it for our house because my daughters, you know, sometimes get on that YouTube and uh, we have an account yes. for the family now right. so that they don't have to see the ads, whether right. it's on Apple TV or wherever and they want to watch some video. Just like you watch an educational video and you're getting an ad for something crazy and you're like, this is yeah. brutal. Yeah. 30-second yeah, ad, 45-second you know, video.
0: Yeah, No. Right, and, and I think that this is the thing, and this is also, I feel a little bad about my usage of Twitter. So I use Twitter, and I don't know what the hell their algorithm is. It used to be, I think, if you were verified, you didn't get ads. Now some verified accounts are getting ads. I don't, I don't see get ads, ads ever. on Twitter, right? I don't and get ads. Yeah. I, I think it's a great hook because if I had to look, I've seen accounts where they get ads. Like it's every 10 tweets or, or whatever. Is it really? And on Twitter, mm. at least you sort of can scroll by it, and it's a little faster. It's not like YouTube where you're kind of just uh, stuck in front of it. But it's still shitty, Brutal. And, and you go like, you know what? This is not a world you want to live in where you're just constantly being bombarded with the, the most targeted, exploitive ads you can possibly come up with. Um, we got to do better. And again, yeah. I don't say that as like, oh, I hate all advertisements. I don't. I enjoy a good advertisement. Um, yeah. I, I remember seeing the... Do you see this? Thing? I, maybe uh, Volvo ran it at the Super Bowl or something. But they had this ad about uh, Volvo and how they do safety and like this uh, yeah. young... Uh, a girl growing up and so on. You go like, that was a great ad. I loved seeing that ad. It's not like all advertisement is bad. It's not like all brand advertisement is bad. But I, do you know what? Almost all personally targeted performance metric ads, they're fucking terrible. That's and we'd brutal. be better off as a society if they just did not exist.
1: All right, as we wrap up here, um, I know you're anti-Uber, my number one investment. I know you're also anti-Superhuman, my number five investment right now in terms of returns. <laughs> Uh, and you're creating uh, a superhuman killer? I'm working on reshaping killer? your
0: investment uh, philosophy. I know, my whole day, but I can't I, buy, I, I mean, I can't I buy like equity
1: in your there. companies. How <laughs> do I don't want to buy equity in your companies? So wait, there's a superhuman killer or corrector of tracked emails that you're coming out with? Explain what it is or what you can explain? Yeah, 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 yeah. You've been teasing, uh, but I don't know.
0: Hay.com hey.com. It's a hey.com. new email Great domain with H-E-Y. clients. You got hey.com? We didn't get, we bought expensively. Hey.com. That's a million-dollar <laughs> domain. Oh, my Lord. It was, it was big bags of money, and they were very heavy. That's how I've, I've been applying uh, oh. replying people on, on Twitter when they H-E-Y. asked about it. Yeah, it was pretty com. expensive. Three-letter domain is a
1: million. I got $1.5 million for 20.com, 20.com. I bought it for yeah. 70, like 15 years ago.
0: That was a, that was a great investment. And that was this, a good one. The, the guy who held uh, Hey.com, this is public records, he, he'd held it since, I think, 95. Right. And, and like, didn't even yeah, use it. Great fucking investment. Yeah, he, and he was nine dollars a he year wasn't squatting.
1: Oh, he was using it. That's cool. Yep.
0: Yeah. So, so that was the other thing. So we bought it um, expensively, and that was part of saying like, hey, we're going to do something completely. On us, it's funny. Someone on on Twitter when I announced that I was going to come on the show, they pulled up the clip where you had asked something about. Hey, so do you want to compete against Gmail? And I said, like, I know oh, I'm not at all interested in that. Uh, yeah, in here that we are, <laughs> and here we are. I'm building essentially yeah. a Gmail.
1: Well, and, and I'm a socialist. A I'm a socialist and wants healthcare. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we're we're not going for for sort of a, a free email service that tries to get right. a billion people to to watch ad or, or have their emails mined. So we're going to build a niche service, as all paid email services are. But right. hey.com, dot com, it's a new email service with integrated clients. It comes out in April, and. We haven't revealed a lot about the features, but one of the things we have talked about is that I'm just furious about the tracking that goes on with email. Mm. And your number four investment, Superhuman, was the worst of the bunch. And there was this big expose, I think it was Mike Industries, um, that put it out where essentially Superhuman was embedding these spy pixels and then reporting back to the sender when the recipient had opened it, where they had opened it from, how many times they had opened it, and at what time. This and is kind of a standard
1: that, feature though in like all sales automation software has it. Salesforce, everything has it.
0: Well today. Superhuman did by far the most grotesque, uh. uh obscene version where they revealed all sorts of detail and aggregation that no one else was doing at the individual level. Um but you're right. This was something that was happening in other it's uh kind of the standard sales, software yeah. and so yeah. on. There was no other read individual receipts. email client that Got had it. ever gone this far like Superhuman did. Um, yeah. But this was just a great thing. For, so for us, when, when, we, uh, when I read the story about Superhuman, I was just so disgusted. I thought, like, this is just the worst. So first it led to a sort of introspection at Basecamp. Like, I wonder what kind of spying pixels we have. And it turned out because we, used, uh, or we use MailChimp, uh, it embeds spying pixels by default. And in that case, it mainly just uses it to aggregate open rates. But I went, that's still bullshit. We shouldn't No, it also that. tells so you where
1: the IP address was. It gives you location data, too, in MailChimp. It tells you, like, 60% of your people are in North America, 30% are here. It gives uh, you that fuck.
0: data. I didn't even know that. Okay. Yeah. That's terrible, too. So, anyway, the pitch here with hey.com is we're going to cut that shit out. We're going to essentially be in a spying pixel blocking client you, you can yeah. detect these things you can do things about how you proxy images and, and actually the signature I just looked at a um, someone from your staff uh, sent me using superhuman uh, yeah. sent me an email and I looked up in, in the HTML and there was the spying pixel it was right there at the top it's like they read receipts hit, it should be image. it should be read receipts I think the standard should be like you
1: turn them on like I think on iPhone you can set I want read receipts because yes. I want the person yes. to know I read it that's that's the I, obvious I do this here. with my
0: wife I yeah. do this with my wife. I have one person in my entire life who I allow read receipts for. It's my wife, right? And it's great. Yeah. Consent-based read receipts—they're totally kosher. Beautiful, yeah. Right. There was a there I, was I, I, I used
1: a uh, I used a Gmail uh, toolbar yeah, a called bad badmail or something like that because I was getting so many of these. When you're an investor, they send you doc send. Which I refuse to open, right. which is a deck that lets the person on the other side w- say how many seconds you are on each slide of their oh pitch deck. Oh, my fuck. God.
0: And where and you are. And then they can so shame I you st- about, hey, Jason, why did you only spend like 10 seconds on that slide? That was It's like so really ridiculous. So I us, just Jason. tell people,
1: don't send me docs and send me a PDF. And then I, ha- I use VPN, so I just put it that I'm in Tokyo because I like to just oh, see – All the Japanese
0: like (laughs) ads and my Japanese version of Google. (laughs) We're we're on the same page here. We're just in the fact that you have the same fundamental human instincts and desires for privacy that everyone does. We just have to get your investment philosophy to follow suit here. I think just what what Superhuman did was terrible. uh, My advice to Raul would be
1: and all the sales software companies is, they should just be an open public standard where you set read receipts per individual, just like you do on your phone. If you don't want read receipts, you don't do it. If you do want them, you do do it. And it just would be so much easier for everybody, you know?
0: It, so, um, so that's essentially the pitch made to the mailing list industry. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I went out public and said, like, hey, when com launches, we're going to block this. Not only are we going to block this, we're going to shame this. We're mm. going to call out that's a great that, market like, whoever strategy. it was from your staff yeah. who used Superhuman and had the spying yeah. pixels tra- uh, turned on. We're going to say, like, hey. Uh, I think it's Jack, turned on
1: by default. I don't even know if you can turn it off. You um, can but it, that's can? the other thing oh, they, okay. they
0: make this assumption it's on by default and all this other bullshit yeah. so we're going to call it out and say like hey Jason is, is sending you email using spying software called Superhuman would you like <laughs> to block Jason or would you like to just you're tell such them, oh, a, you're, you're
1: such and a great competitor I really respect your ability to s- stir the pot and be a shit starter because well, 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 I, I do the
0: same thing I, I use that I want to use that to make real change so we've started talking to some yeah, of the mailing it's, list it's providers fair game. like yeah. ConvertKit and Intercom and so on let's just get voluntary carry on this basis that read receipts is something you need consent for. I have no problem with read receipts. If you send out an email that asks essentially Microsoft Outlook used to do this, right? It would say Jason would like to know when you've opened his emails. Allow yeah. deny. If that's what yeah. it is, wonderful. No yeah. one has any problem with that. That's the way it should but be. That's this has what to what be the standard. Is doing today.
1: Well, I mean if you look at e- the thing I love about email, which is why I'm pursuing email newsletters at inside.com is you it's the one open source platform Like HTTP and everything, like the web. Those two, and even RSS, you know, and um, with enclosures, which is the fundamental base of podcasting, if you look at podcasting, email, and the web, all three of them not controlled by the big... Google, Facebook's of the world because they were open standards. You can't and control them. These are
0: treasures. These are treasures of the internet and we need to the protect those treasures and we need to guard them and we need to smack people who abuse them across the head and say, what are you thinking? Don't poison email. Email is wonderful. Ugh. Email is one of those, as you say, three treasures of the internet. We don't want to ruin email. Is there any others? By turning it into a spying cesspool.
1: Are there, are there any others? I guess Linux and web servers. Are open source. I'm trying to think of like the other open source thing that consumers use that has led to so many flowers blooming, you know? Well, we like, being rails.
0: I'm just going to self promote yeah, here. Yeah,
1: of course. Yeah. And the one that isn't, <laughs> I, mean, there's, there's I mean, there's a lot dev of this, tools. Right? Are, but in terms, terms of protocol consumer there's tools, there's not that yeah, many.
0: Not that many. There's not that and many protocols. We need
1: one for social networks. I know people have tried, they've done open standards for it. There needs to be an open standard Twitter, and I am trying to find somebody to build it and back them. And a messaging platform, so having a messaging platform that competes heads yes. up with WhatsApp, et etc, yes. and a social network, I have been begging to find somebody to build this and make it either free or, or you know pay for premium, yes. but yes. no yes. tracking. you own a hundred percent there. I cannot find somebody to do we it. a lot of the crypto it. people ha- are into it, but we they, almost they, had they, it.
0: WhatsApp yeah. was it. WhatsApp yeah. was it. This is yeah. why Brian from WhatsApp is living with such regret right now that yeah. he got such a big offer and he didn't dare refuse it. And now Facebook owns fucking WhatsApp, right? WhatsApp mm-hmm. just celebrated 2 billion people on it. And in its original version before... Uh, Uh, Facebook bought them, they were profitable and they were profitable on something like it's a dollar a year. They had 600
1: million people pay in one year one dollar per year. Such a brilliant business model.
0: And we had that. uh, It was a standard. It was end-to-end encrypting. It was all of these things. Like Brian is trying to make amends right now with Signal and I mean... Really, kudos to him to, for, for realizing the gravity of his mistake selling WhatsApp to to Facebook. And double kudos for trying to correct that mistake, for essentially trying to rebuild WhatsApp outside of the Facebook Death Star in terms of Signal. He's donated $50 million to the Signal Foundation. They now have a group of 20 people working on it. They got some really he heavy hitters around encryption Isn't it and amazing?
1: So on. Like, Kevin Sistrom left Instagram and yes. has nothing good to say about Zuckerberg. Of course, the WhatsApp not. guys left a billion dollars on the table right, in that last right. year, and they were like, "Yeah, yes. not worth working for this guy any longer." <laughs> Dave Morin yes. had Path, and Zuckerberg started stealing Dave Morin's ideas from Path and putting it into Zuckerberg into Facebook after Dave Morin Snapchat. Left. Same thing. I mean, yeah,
0: but it, I mean, it's not even good. the
1: people who worked for him and the people yes. he made rich
0: right. hate him. Yes, now yes. that
1: says something. Like it's one thing for you to break. Bezos' chops, you know, about like, you know, obviously. Which leaks I barely in even games. do,
0: right? Like, it's not like well, I'm saying, I, hey, Bezos, there, you're it's a not bad un, person. Listen, These people are literally saying, it, hey, Suckerbird, you're a bad person.
1: Yes, it's a distinctly different thing. there's there It's a vote of no confidence in the human. Yours yes, is a yes. critique of, hey, pay your taxes, pay people a little bit more. It's, it's, it's yes. I, I think, doing it privately, but obviously you haven't kept up the relationship with Jeff. Um, what happens if this hey.com thing works and Basecamp is working? I think Basecamp's got to be doing close to nine figures now or something in that range.
0: We're doing so you're... well that like money has not been on my mind for a very long time. And that's one of the liberating things I think about that. Um, but not like, nine figures We yet. would not have done hey in an earlier day. I think now uh, we have just sort of like, do you know what? If this doesn't work- it's who not cares? the end of the world. Like, who cares, right? So, yeah. so I have sort of, and we have just the freedom to go full in, all out,
1: and have right? fun. Like, build right? the do a fun email. Project, cl- yeah.
0: Have fun. hugely important. Uh, do it sustainably. We're not working eighty hours a week just because we want to launch a major yeah. new email service, right? We're working forty hours a week. We're, uh, but but we're going to go all out, and we're going to use this platform more so than any other piece of software we've ever done to enforce better social norms. And we start with things like spying pixels and calling shit out like that.
2: Yeah.
1: I I, I uh I commend you on it. I think there should be a standard and I, I like a good fight. I like when people mix it up. I think email is something when we invested, you know, in the first round of superhuman, which is a slide deck, you know, the pitch was let's make something people will pay a dollar a day for. And right. that is faster and better than this clusterfuck that Gmail has become, which is slow and yes. broken and right. the yep. interface looks like you know, you know a, this is what happened with monopolies
0: right yeah Gmail has had a monopoly on email effectively for a yeah. very long time and they've stagnated as all monopolies do right like yeah. you look at what it's happened to the internet explorer once uh, uh, Microsoft had a total monopoly it just stagnated this is what happens so Somebody's I'm really happy Facebook. to see that uh, email is one of those things where the network effects are weak Like they're extremely strong on the protocol level. They're relatively weak on the client level. Like whether you use Gmail or Yahoo or hey.com, you can send email to anyone in the world mostly right like it's mm-hmm. actually still surprisingly complicated to to get all the the protocols and so on right but if you do all that work you can do it and that's what excites me we don't need to beat anyone we don't need to beat superhuman we don't need to beat gmail there's literally like five billion people who use email what do we need if we can get 50,000 people or 100,000 or whatever no i mean that was the pitch super here.com it's get a one huge million. success
1: one million paying a dollar a day is a fuck ton of money yes like Back to the dollar thing, like just charge yeah, people yeah. a fair price. A dollar a day for an executive using email, completely worth it. Like how many hours do we spend on our email boxes?
0: And, and we're even going a bit down market from that. We're not just building luxury software for Silicon Valley yeah. executives. We're building sort yeah. for, for, for a broader audience. So it's gonna be much, much cheaper than what uh, that is. Yet it's still going to be for pay, right? I think we finally come around to this idea that free is not free. You just pay no. in a different cor- currency. Whether you pay in it's privacy or you pay in your attention or you pay in something else, you're not getting anything for free. This was one you, – you'll appreciate this anecdote. I just saw this article on TechCrunch the other day calling out some company. and It was in very fiercely uh, jun- uh, uh, journalistic sense where they were investigating something and something was bullshit. And I thought back to what t- TechCrunch used to be where it was just this cheerleader for – Venture capital, free yeah. services back in the mid-2000s, I thought like, Do you know what? If even TechCrunch can turn around and actually become sort of a respectable member of journalistic standing and not just cheerleaders for a broken industry, there's yeah. real hope here. There's real hope. Uh, the
1: tech industry and, is getting pretty – they got their knives out for big tech. Like big – I don't know if you're watching the big tech versus tech Discussion online and it, it's getting full force because I think they felt like they gave such a free pass for so long to tech yes, and they were such yes. cheerleaders. That now I would say nine out of 10 stories, maybe even you know 99 out of 100 I get contacted for is bad news. They're like, yes. here's something terrible going on. Can we get a quote from you about something terrible? Uh, and I'm like, I, I, this is I the made, hangover. This it, is it the It really hangover. is a big hangover. I'm like, I, I did 80 investments last year. Do you want to profile a company that's doing something interesting? They're like, no, another day. But for today, we would like to talk to you about how horrible these 10 things are intact. And I'm just like, you know what? I don't have time. I'm sorry. Like... This is what
0: happens happens when you blindly cheerlead an industry for like 15 years straight. You wake up and you realize, holy shit, there's so much bad stuff here we need to cover. There's so many broken social norms we need to correct. We got to get to work. And I agree with you. Like, it's not going to be like this forever. But there's just so much shit to clean up that it's going to be like this for a while. And I think that backlash is actually good.
1: I think the backlash is healthy because... People, it shows that people expect more from technologists and technologists yes. should understand this because we have a disproportionate impact on society. Therefore, great yes. power, great responsibility. Just take a little more responsibility. And, and really, if Zuckerberg, all these roads lead to Zuckerberg, he was the first to come in and say, the new model is move fast, break things. And he pissed in the well that everybody had to drink from. And it was like, dude, you're pissing in the literal well of users. Please stop pissing in the well. And he was like, why, why do I care? It's a well,
0: Dump fuck fucks. it. Dumb fucks,
1: right? Yeah. I mean, that was his quote. Like, these people are dumb right. fucks. Who cares, right? And right. I don't think much has changed about Zuckerberg's position on users,
0: right? It doesn't look like that. No. And, and I think that this is why this overhang is now coming in. And even Facebook is actually finally feeling something. You saw that oh, yeah. uh, the EU blocked the launch of Facebook dating. Um, oh, really? Because basically the answers that they'd, they'd given around privacy and so on were insufficient. So Zuckerberg is Beautiful. like lining up to do this big launch and the EU just says, nope, or you look nope. at Libra, where like world government's basically with. like, what the fuck are you talking about? We would give Zuckerberg his own private currency? You got to yeah, be out of nope. your fucking mind. Yep. Nope. What 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 happened when we let him buy Instagram and
1: WhatsApp? Like literally like we have democracy breaking in the United States because he wants yes. to make rubles.
0: He's taking ads in rubles. And let let's not unwind checking the that shit. Right, we can fix it. That's the great promise of democracy. We can fix it. We can get someone in place who goes like, "Do you know what? Those were bad decisions, and we're going to change those." And there's a long American history of busting the trusts. There's breaking up companies that are too big, too important to be that big, and bring them under sort of democratic. It's going to be better, and it's going to be better for shareholders. I mean, you spin out YouTube, and you spin out Nest,
1: and you spin out Android. And the the value creation would be bonkers. You spin out AWS, you spin out Instagram. I mean, these things will become worth 50 percent more when they're independent companies. Like the entire enterprise will increase. So this is the tragedy.
0: Today. This is the tragedy of prosperity. This is like uh, what do they call it? The 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 oil curse or something like that. When you have yeah. this spigot of money, as Google has in terms of the uh, targeted advertisement, that just goes. Psh, psh, psh. They can be so inefficient and so bad at everything else, and it doesn't matter. Google has now launched, what, 22 or 25 different messaging services. They all just fail. It doesn't matter. It doesn't put a dent in the bottom line. Like 98% of all revenue comes from targeted advertising. The same thing with Facebook. They keep just launching all sorts of shit. It doesn't matter if it works. poke. Remember, Polk
1: was like their yes. like third Snapchat killer. They just keep trying to kill Snapchat incessantly. Like It's so pathetic that like, can you imagine working for Zuckerberg and coming into work and being like, hey, I have a really great idea. And he's like, fuck you, your idea. Here's uh, what, you know, uh, Evan Spiegel did yesterday. Do, yes. Just copy this. <laughs> and it's like, but you're paying me $400,000 a year to be your lead designer. And they're like, yeah, doesn't matter. Th- this your, is this is what I, I find matter. this
0: such a great point because people often talk about when we talk about increasing tax revenues, they say, "Oh, government is so inefficient." Have you seen fucking Facebook? Have you seen yeah. Google? Like, do you know how inefficient? Do you know how many people who make like three hundred grand doing fucking nothing? Oh no, they're just like, buying talent it, when off I the I market. Say nothing, it's a I mean blocking terms of strategy. Impact. It's a blocking strategy.
1: Take all yes. the smartest yes. people off the market. They can't create right. a company that yes. kills the money printing machine. Because you have Boom. the money printing machine, it's just like you know what the mode is. The mode is all the smart people getting overpaid to do nothing, yes, and then they get complacent. It's gold. I mean, it's beyond gold They have this golden palace. They're just like here, right. live in this palace. And right, like, how
0: bad is that for all of society? How bad is that even for investors like you? Right? Like this no, is I mean, not the, good. it's, what it's we problematic. Need is new yeah. companies coming up. We need yeah. a new generation of Facebooks and whatever. We don't need Facebook Absolutely. to buy all of them or Google or whoever.
1: No, I mean, it, if you look at Instagram and YouTube as just two 1 billion, 1 billion and $1.6 billion acquisitions, both of those companies standalone would be worth 200, 300 billion. Um, and they would be competing in the, you know, comp- yes. arena of ideas with other people. And YouTube would be competing with Netflix and Disney, not being this like side piece for, you know, right. extending the Google search franchise. Right. And right. just it would just be a much better world
0: I'm I'm really I'm really impressed by this conversation I think we're on the same page about social democracy uh, social uh, sort of safety nets about healthcare about education and Bloomberg we both agree
1: Bloomberg should be the next president so this is great
0: (laughs) (laughs) you're Bernie I know I know you're Bernie I think that that, that's another yeah that's another two two
1: hours yeah All right. listen David it's great to uh, get you back on the pod and um, you'll be releasing this on your podcast as well so thanks for having me as a guest Uh, everybody Check out hey.com, basecamp.com, rubyonrails.org. And if you have not read uh, Rework uh, back from 2010, it is a great book. A lot of great insights in there on how to uh, do remote work and just run an organization. Uh, you're one of a kind, David, and I appreciate you coming back on the pod.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. Let's uh, let's not wait 10 years yeah, for another absolutely. one. absolutely.
1: Maybe we'll just make this like we'll do it every year. We'll just have right, we'll, we'll, the rundown one. of sounds where we're good. at. All right, man. Talk to you soon, brother. All right, thanks. Cheers. Great job.